It is August 21st edition of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And today on the show, uh, we're going to be talking more about the Warner Brothers' uh, discovery of remo- removing uh, several animated shows from HBO Max. Sideshane Littlefeather receives an apology after being booed off the stage and nearly assaulted by John Wayne 50 years ago at the Oscars. Wednesday trailer is finally up, as uh, in Burton's unveiling his bloody reimagining of the Addams Family. Kirby's 30th anniversary music fest performance, including songs and medleys from across the Kirby series, will be available to watch until August 31st. Splatoon 3 Direct uh, announces story mode, Splatfest uh, format, and uh, the new idols known as Deep Cut. Sega is partnering with PictureStar to produce film adaptations of Space Channel 5 and Comic Zone. We're going to give you our post-thoughts on robots uh, as part of the journey to the blue sky and the bad guys in the return of Dream Machine. Raya from Brian the Last Dragon is joining the official Disney Princess lineup. Also, we're going to talk about the Manic Expression movie poster that's recently been released. 35 years ago, Metroid was first released on the NES by Nintendo in North America. Kale Mitchell shares outtakes uh, for the 26th anniversary of Keenan and Kel. And finally, a small fire broke out at Nintendo's development center in Kyoto, likely started by a device that was being charged. You're listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 21st of August of 2022. So Patricia, do you want to tell everybody what's going on on the Old School Lane podcast? Yeah, so we just posted up the Dream Machine episode of The Bad Guys after about two weeks of not really um, being able to post too much due to the fact that uh, we were still working on some things on Journey to the Blue Sky and on Dream Machine on Anchor. So it's finally up and uh, pretty soon we'll be posting up the Journey to the Blue Sky episodes on on the YouTube channel. So please go check it out. And also a um, major shout out to my subscribers uh, for subscribing over to the YouTube channel. We are almost at the 11,000 subscriber mark so if you're able to you know like and comment and subscribe over to the channel then please do so as of the making of this podcast uh, we are almost there we're almost reaching the milestone and we only need about a few more subscribers to go and um, it's been really really excited to see that people are still tuning into the channel so I really highly recommend that you do check it out if you have the opportunity to do so yeah cool and uh, definitely if you don't subscribe to the old school lane uh, youtube channel then definitely subscribe now because you know you're not very far away from uh, uh, hitting that uh, really uh, really big milestone so absolutely cool uh put top story uh warner brothers discovery has removed several animated shows from hbo max and so uh this is uh, creating a huge amount of fallout uh amongst the uh, the fans and so actually asking the uh probably uh um you know uh, relevant question now which is what is the point of hbo max now yeah. So, I mean, we've already been knowing about that Warner Brothers has been struggling for the longest time on trying to uh, stay on top ever since they've been going through massive debt and almost falling into the point of bankruptcy in which they were acquired by multiple companies. You know, we first had, um, you know, AT&T that happened a while ago, and then that kind of fell through and then Discovery picked them up. And so uh, due to the massive um, cancellations of various projects, like we talked about in the Batgirl um, discussion about a few weeks ago. So, you know, in order for them to save up on, um, you know, being, you know, falling down lower than they they were already 
They've been having a lot of layoffs of their uh, employees, as well as pulling out dozens upon dozens of TV shows and films, that, especially those that were exclusive to HBO Max. And that includes nearly 200 episodes of Sesame Street, removing Cartoon Network shows such as OKKO, OK Let's Be Heroes, and Infinity Train. And a lot of people are just beyond devastated. A lot of them didn't even know about this, that their stuff is being removed until literally they just saw the Collider um, article that was posted up about this whole removal of things. And, you know, they're planning on removing all of this content for multiple reasons, including like tax write-offs and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, for all of the complaints that we've had on Netflix saying about like, wow, you know, Netflix is canceling all of these amazing animation projects and, you know, all of the stuff that they've been doing, it's like it is nothing compared to what HBO Max is going through. Okay. Just to give you a bit of an idea of like some of the shows that are disappearing off HBO Max, We've actually got a list here that actually was collaborated by a cartoon grave. So, uh, leaving HBO Max is 12 Nights of Christmas, uh, About Last Night, Aquaman King of Atlantis, Close Enough, Detention Adventure, Dodo, Ellen's uh, Next Great Designer, Elliot from Earth, Asme and Roy, uh, The Fungies, uh, Generation Hustle, uh, Generate uh, Genera Plus Ion, um, Infinity Train, Little Ellen, Mau Mau, uh, Messi Goes to Arcado, uh, Mia's Magic Playground, Ma... Uh, Mighty Magic Swords, uh, My Dinner with Herve, uh, My Mom, Your Dad, Odo, OKKO, OK Let's Be Heroes, uh, The Ollie and Moon Show, uh, Pac-Man and Ghostly Adventures, uh, Ravi Patel, Pursuit of Happiness, uh, Select Sesame Street Specials, uh, Make It Big, Make It Small, uh, Share, Squish, Summer Camp Island, uh, The Not Too Late Show with Elmo, uh, The Runaway Bunny Special, uh, Theodosa, um, Take and Seek, Uncle Grandpa, uh, Victor and Valentino, and Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs. Like, yeah, there's, and that's there's some big names in that list. Yeah, and that's not even including like um you know, various other things that have been removed since then. But that's just, um, you know, like the beginning of other things that are going to be removed. So, yeah, so a lot of these programs are HBO Max exclusives. And so because they're being removed, other than pirating, you're never going to see them again. Well, um, I mean, there is some, I mean, if you're a Sesame Street fan, you know, at the age of 30, I mean, like, uh, I guess, uh, you know, there are some uh, silver lining that uh, uh, Sesame Street's recently announced that they're going to be releasing like all the stuff that's been taken off HBO Max and releasing it onto their YouTube channel for free. Okay, so. Yeah, well, Sesame Street is an exception, but, oh my god, Infinity Train has gotten, like, the worst of it all. Not only has, you know, the stuff on HBO Max been removed, but... Um, the social media posts regarding what Infinity Train on their, you know, like, their websites, that's been gone. Also, um, the purchases of the DVDs are gone, which means that now people who own the DVDs can be able to sell it for, like, hundreds upon hundreds of dollars because now you can't buy it anywhere. And also, I mean, it is true that um, it is still up on iTunes for purchase, but, yeah, like, a lot, of, they try to wipe away Infinity Train like it doesn't exist. And um, Owen Dennis the creator of Infinity Train is just beyond devastated at what happened. He said, like, you know, all this year's worth of work is just, like, gone in a flash. And even the creator of Summer Camp Island felt the same way, in which, like, they were supposed to, like, post their last episodes of um, Summer Camp Island, and then that's not going to happen. Victor and Valentino, the only way you can be able to watch the last episode of the series is if you watch it on Cartoon Network itself. And a lot of people have, like, removed their cable providers and are starting to go into streaming. So it's like, yeah, 
you can't win in the end. Yeah. Well, um, apparently, according to some places, uh, if you're in Europe, uh, I think Infinity Train, I think, is still available at Amazon Prime. I think so. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you can still download. If you get a VPN, you should still be able to be able to get it from Prime. If you know, if you want to, uh, you know, part away with cash. But uh, apparently, uh, the, according to uh, iTunes, uh, apparently some of the uh, HBO Max shows that were originally uh, were taken down from HBO Max are now basically starting to trend on uh, iTunes. So people are starting to like pay money and download them. From, uh, exactly, from iTunes yeah. So, like, uh, but, you know, yeah, it, I mean, unfortunately, like, you know, uh, mind you, doesn't this strike you, like, what happened with Dana Terrace? Like, uh, she posted a screenshot of, uh, to promote one of her shows, but so uh, you can easily tell, like, it was one from the, one of the pirating sites, and it's kind of like, how crazy is it now that, uh, you know, um, creators of their own shows here in the modern era cannot actually get access to their own shows, unless they go on pirating yeah. or stream, like, they can't afford a cable subscription, for crying out loud. Exactly. That's crazy. I mean, the, you know, how low have they been paid in which they can't even watch their own shows on a cable per, uh, channel? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. So I just think that uh, again, it's um, a really bad move on part of HBO Max. By the way, who's? I mean, w- what is the future of HBO Max at this point? Like, you know, they ev- everyone on social media is telling them not to subscribe. And so, like, uh, I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going through the same thing that Netflix is going through, in which, like, they removed a lot of content, they canceled a lot of content, and then, all of a sudden, you know, their subscribers dropped by, like, what, like, over 20%. So it's like, you know, a lot of these programs that a lot of people have been enjoying, you know, they're gone now, so we're going to be probably expecting that, you know, people are going to be dropping off and, you know, going to be going elsewhere. It's like, okay, you know, we still have Disney+, Plus, we still have Hulu, we still have Amazon Prime. Who knows? Maybe Apple TV will be able to pick up some really cool programs and movies that we can watch. So, yeah. I don't mean, know. I think, uh, I, think Apple, I think Apple TV at the moment I think is making like a mediocre knockoff Pixar films at the moment. So I think uh, whether they're going to be uh, picking up all this other stuff. Like, here's the thing about this: like this would be handled a lot better, in my opinion, if they said if they made an announcement to say, okay, well we're going to be uh, taking these things off HBO Max soon, but uh, we are looking basically to sell the intellectual properties and sell them off to other companies. And like you know, some will appear up on Disney, some will go to Netflix, some will go to other streaming sites, and uh, hey, maybe some of them will just say, well we're just going to uh, you know give them their our library to shout factory and all you have to buy the dvds you know like uh, i'm pretty sure some people would be happy with that if like you know they had it in physical form and actually this is another thing as well this is the risk of basically trusting subscriber based systems like having like you know pro- programming as a service because you're not guaranteed that uh, by the time you know um you've continued like years into the service that those things are still going to be there i think of you know what we're seeing now with hbo max is the risk of basically uh, you know getting rid of all your dvd collection and going on to streaming because you don't know if it's going to be there any- anymore after after the fact so i mean like i think i, I guarantee you, maybe this might be the uh, this continues happening with um Streaming services, I mean, like, uh, could this be the the moment where, you know, Blu-ray and DVD start making a comeback? Who knows? I mean, I think that with what everything that's been going on, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, people will be starting to release more stuff on physical media because... If you rely on streaming stuff, I mean, it's not going to be a guarantee that it'll be there forever. Exactly, yeah. So, uh... Yeah. Anyway, um, the creator of Infinity Train, he basically has uh, changed his uh, profile uh, description. I don't know if you realize this on Twitter. Like it says, um, creator, he basically said, uh, Owen Dennis, uh, creator of Infinity Train, uh, a show that got pulled from HBO Max and can uh, can now only be pirated. And one thing he also said about this as well is that um, he said that, yeah, I could probably go watch it on a pirating stream, but my kids can't. And so, and he said he made it for his kids. 
pretty much. And so, like, uh, wow. you know, a, a lot of, you know, this is the thing, yeah, like, there's going to be a lot of, like, adults, like, you know, you and I, and basically people listening to this podcast, who are going to be able to pick up these shows from, like, other places, but uh, for a lot of, uh, you know, young people who uh, are going to be going into, you know, looking at anime and stuff for the first time, they're going to be able to see this stuff again. Like, you know, yeah, just... I mean, like, it kind of reminds me of a story that, um, if you remember from the As Told by Ginger 20th Anniversary Virtual Reunion livestream, that um, we had... Um, you know, various guests on the show. And one of them just so happens to be Maureen Iser and Anthony Vukovic. And they told me, like, uh, about a few weeks after we did the reunion live stream that um, this was before that it was posted, uh, that Estelle Virginia was posted up on uh, Paramount+. Plus. Um, they told me that the only way that they wanted to introduce their twin uh, teenage girls, the show, was watching it through a pirated website. That's crazy to think about. Well, I mean, uh, if that's going to be the way that they're going to be able to do it, then you know, that's that's where that's that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. that's it's it, it's sad, isn't it? Yeah, like... especially for creators who want to show their children, hey, this is what uh, we worked on a long time ago, or this is what I worked on recently, and I did it just for you. Oh, we're not going to be able to watch it on Netflix or on Disney Plus or on HBO Max or on Hulu. No, we have to go to this site that might have a lot of viruses and bugs and glitches. But hey, that's the only way we can watch it. Yeah, it's just, it's, um, it, it's a sad way that animation is going, and uh, it's a really big slap in the face for everybody who basically pulled the industry through the pandemic, pretty much, and it's like, nah, we're gonna go back to, you know, really crappy live-action shows that uh, have no imagination into them whatsoever, you know? Yeah, that's the direction that Cartoon Network is going on right now, and... <laughs> Oh, man. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, this, the, the live action stuff that we're doing right now, you know, because, oh, the the, the the animation stuff is for the kiddies. And, you know, we have all these um teenagers who are not into that kind of stuff. So let's just produce the live action stuff, even though we saw in 2009 that that stuff was a failure. So it's like, yeah, yeah, let's let's do it again. Why don't we? Yeah, let's mm -hmm. do that. The, the, the stuff I don't understand is is scrubbing it from social media. What's the purpose in that? Like, I just uh, it just seems like such a dick thing to do. You know, like, I mean, like, is it, 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 I, I mean, I guess they're just trying to remove it. It's like, yeah, we, we, we don't need you anymore. You don't exist. Let's just wipe that off. And, you know, it, it was, they're basically just like sweeping it under the rug. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that maybe there's going to be a sale. Maybe of these shows, like maybe they're going to sell them off to somewhere else. Like that's the only I thing know. I can I mean, think of. If they're going to do it as tax write-offs, they can't sell it because they'll just basically say, "Oh, you know, we didn't make any money from this, so we're just going to write it off, and then we'll, you know, those things will never be aired again." I mean, that's exactly what happened for shows such as like Megas XLR and Symbiotic Titan, in which Cartoon Network felt that those shows didn't succeed very well because, oh, you know, we weren't able to get toy sales, we weren't able to do this and do that, so we're just going to write them off, and then they'll never be aired on television again they'll never be able to go up on a streaming service they'll never have any physical media whatsoever so the only way people can watch it is through pirating so who knows if any of these shows will meet the same fate yeah i mean has that been officially confirmed yet like all these shows are basically they, they are basically done for tax purposes I mean, I'm sure there's like multiple reasons as to what's going on, but um, we don't 100% know for sure. But yeah, exactly. I like I, again, we we don't, we don't know that for a fact. So like uh, you know, let's uh, let's be careful on that. But uh, I mean, like uh, it, all I can say is that uh, you know um, the fact that that's, hey, that's uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is not being upfront about this, and the fact that they're not really like uh, you know um, really giving much uh, you know uh, clue about what they're actually trying to do. Like uh, that's a that's a problem. 
You know, like, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it makes you wonder, like, uh, you know, and we were talking before about what they need to do, uh, you know, to basically pull themselves out of the brink. I don't think they have a plan. I think they're just looking just to sink. Like, uh, one thing that's just, also is happening as well, which, I mean, uh, you can um, laugh and share at this, I guess, if you're on uh, a particular side of politics, but uh, we've had a, a TV network here called GB News, which is supposed to be like our version of Fox News here in the UK, and uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has actually exited the investment, so they basically pulled millions of pounds out of the project. Yeah. So that's, that's gone. That's so that's gone too. So like, uh, I don't know, it, it's so it's so weird, like, uh, I'm just having a look here, so... Um, also, on top of that as well, Warner Bros. Discovery is looking to cut four of its own top executives as well. Okay, so, wow. So people even at the top are even are going to start going. That's, that's ridiculous. Well, like, uh, it's it's so weird. Like, you know, first they cut the shows, then they're cutting, like, other projects, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, some of the... Uh, also, on top of that, they, uh, you know, Batgirl is probably, like, the, you know, the, uh, the most famous, I think, of the cuts. Uh, as well, out of, the, out of this company. Now, even so, even like some of the like the, the highest, you know, top-ranking people in the company aren't even safe. Nope, nobody is safe. Yeah, it's uh... oh boy. Well, uh, we'll keep our eye on this whole saga, but uh, I mean, there's not much explanation of what's going on right now. Well, I yeah, just, I uh, think that um, I think this is not going to be the last time we're going to be talking about this fiasco. No, we're going to be talking about. It. I mean, unless Warner Brothers, like you know, uh, come uh, Warner Brothers Discovery comes out with like an official statement saying this is the reason we're doing this, that, and the other. Like uh, you know, um, uh, by the way, we're getting something else from Variety as well. Um, Warner Brothers Discovery chief uh, David uh, Zaslav uh, ig ignores uh, as HBO layoffs while praising the House of Dragon team on staff memo. Yeah, so David Slasov is essentially the Bob Chackett of Warner Brothers, in which, like, you know, he started um, becoming the CEO of um, the company last year, and ever since then, he's just gone way downhill. What's, I mean, like, uh, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, like, okay. seriously, what are you he's, doing? He's not even being upfront with his staff about what's going on. Ah. <sighs> Typical, you know, it's like, oh yeah, um, everything's going great. I mean, all the stuff that's happening right now, we're just going to ignore it. Yeah. It's cut our losses and run. It really is. So cowardly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. Anyway. Um, well, unfortunately, we haven't got a happier story to kind of move on, unfortunately. Maybe I should probably structure this maybe a bit better, but here we go. Um, Zashin Littlefeather was the, um... Um, Native American who uh, was uh, put on place uh, for someone who was going to take a Oscar for The Godfather. And, yeah, uh, that she, was um, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando, yeah. So um, she went on stage and uh, she gave the reason why she wasn't accepting the Oscar. She actually, One of her instructions was to basically not take the statue at all. So you can see when, you can see in the video, like, uh, she comes up on stage, she doesn't take the uh, the statue and she then says that the reason she's not, that she's then he's not accepting this because of the way that Native Americans are, are treated on, uh, uh, on, 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 um, on cinema and also in uh, the industry, which uh, got like a mixture of like you know booze and also some people applauding because uh, I mean th there were some people there who also did feel the same way uh, that happened. But uh, I think the aftermath of what happened, I think, was probably you know uh, probably the worst of it all. Um, so actually, a little further, as she left the stage, she was threatened with arrest 
from that's, that's my understanding because uh, she uh, uh, was told not to go over a particular you know time. So she basically just got out yeah, there. Yeah, she only had yeah she only had sixty seconds to deliver the message, you know, saying I'm accepting this Oscar on um, Marlon Brando's behalf because he wasn't able to come in, and so um, security was going to threaten to arrest her for doing that. Yeah, and also uh, apparently a drunken John Wayne at the time had to be held back by about six people to stop him from basically you know um g you know going after you know uh such a little better on stage so yeah uh, yeah so uh you know uh, john wayne's uh you know um uh you know uh i think the further into the uh the abyss i think that his uh legacy falls into i think the better i guess and uh yeah i mean so at the time around the 70s i mean john wayne was an icon for westerns you know he was like the hero he was the cowboy who was able to like fight off um e you know all the native the bad native americans and it was able to save everybody or you know there were some times in which um you know he was the anti-hero but again you know a lot of the movies that you know he portrayed in, in westerns you know native americans were the bad guys so yeah you know, he was also, you know, known for having a reputation for being pretty racist and sexist. And, yeah, he was, like, all about, you know, hooray America. So his actions were not too surprising when you look back on it. Yeah. So And uh, also, around the time in which when she was giving that speech, the Wounded Knee occupation was going on at the time, in which you had 200 Lakota Sioux. Uh, were trying to find and the opportunity to seize the uh, and occupy the town of Woodney, South Dakota, because uh, they felt that you know you know living in reservations and you know that their land was theirs and the U.S. Uh, government was you know took it away from them and yeah that's that's a whole can of worms in itself. So yeah. there was a lot of um, stuff that was going on at the time that she was making that speech. Mm -hmm. So um, there was that, and so um, but anyway, the reason why we're bringing this up is because 50 years later uh, Sachin Littlefeather has apparently received an apology from uh, the Academy for how she was treated at that time and uh, some people are wondering why now like why is it that all you know after 50 years after this whole thing originally happened why is it now that the Academy has only just started apologizing for what happened and so uh, some, people yeah, that, 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 some people are suggesting it's because of the Will Smith incident that only this is the only mm. reason now that she's actually getting this apology and uh, so I don't know. Like uh, I know that uh, the uh, academy now is being run by someone different, and maybe now because of the change in management, that uh, now you know some some wrongs I guess are now starting to be righted. But uh, I don't know. Like it's just I mean after the Sajin Littlefeather incident, you know she never worked again after that. Nope, like, never her, did. Her IMDb page basically stopped at that very moment. That uh, she yep. basically appeared at the Academy Awards. She never got another uh, acting job after that. And uh, so it's just it's. Um... Wouldn't be surprised if you know that incident kind of like blackmailed her from the, you know, from the limelight in Hollywood, and she wasn't able to find any work again. Yeah, like all all, her, all the stuff on IMDb, IMDb page is basically dedicated to like that incident, like you know, documentaries, things like that. Like it's just it's uh, yeah, it's. Uh... So uh, well, anyway, she's um, she's got her uh, an apology. I mean, to be honest, like it's just it's 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 uh, forty nine years, you know, uh, three hundred and sixty four days too late, if you ask me. But uh, you know, I, mean, you know, I know it, it would have been nice if she would have gotten the apology, like I don't know, maybe like the day after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's not where Hollywood was at that time. So I guess it was very, it was gonna be very difficult, I guess, for the Academy to so, suddenly, uh, you know, turn around and say, "Oh, we apologize for the way, like you know, our big Hollywood stars treated you." 
You know, like I guarantee you. I think if she got an apology the next day, I think you know. Uh, I think all the, the, I think the actors' guild probably will be thinking about. Oh, you know, maybe we should have our own award ceremony. Mm. Like you know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, I, I can see something like that happening if they did. But uh, you know, times have changed. You know, worth uh, I guess, and uh, things have moved on, and uh, so. Uh, Sashi and Littlefeather. It took 50 years to get it, but uh, she finally got it. You know, I've got to be honest with you. I really thought that uh, she was going to get it posthumously. You know, I'm really surprised that she was alive to even see it, to be honest. Yeah, uh, especially since she was going through a lot of, um, you know, stuff over the years. Like, from what I understand, she was going through, like, you know, colon cancer and stage four breast cancer. And even still to this day, like, uh, she's still terminally ill. So she's go she went through a lot over the past few years. Yeah. But I mean, the one thing that I'm, you know, happy to see is that she received the apology. I'm, I'm just really sad that she didn't get it much sooner. Yeah, I, I think she, she should have got it the minute after all that whole, that whole incident happened. Like, you know, besides that, and I, I guarantee, you know, mind you, I'm sure there's going to be people in comments who are going to be probably saying, like, well, there was this incident, there was that incident. Like, the, the big incidents that stand out in my mind, I think, obviously, are the Sashi and Littlefeather incident, and then also there's the, uh, the Will Smith incident fairly recently, and. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, uh, and again, you know, like, it makes you wonder if uh, they're only kind of like, you know, cleaning up all this mess now to basically say, oh, hey, well, you know, we've moved on, we've changed, you know, we're not like that no more. And uh, I don't know, it's like, it's, uh, it's again, like, I still ask, why now? Why is it, why is it only just now that this has now become a thing? For the for the I don't know. I mean, it's like you said, maybe maybe it's due to like new people coming in and you know seeing that you know what happened was wrong. I mean, maybe it was the Will Smith incident that kind of like triggered it. Um, it could be a lot of reasons. We we still don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Um... Yeah, let me look at it. Says something. So, uh, oh, it's actually the actor says John Wayne tried to uh, remove her from the Oscars uh, stage after the uh, after the speech. Uh, so yeah, we already know about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, heaven forbid we talk about like, oh, you know, the U.S. government is trying to, you know, stop the Native Americans and they're bad and all that stuff. I mean, you know, given that John Wayne was a full-blooded American who, you know, un you know, stood up for America's rights and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, anything that's, you know, passed beyond what he knows about. Oh, and somebody's saying that this is bad. Oh, I, I can understand why he would be so angry, but yeah. Just, it's awful. It's just awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, John Wayne basically told by, you know, somebody who, you know, was, uh, according to, like, in his perspective, was seen as, like, the bad guy or seen as, like, inferior to the white American, saying, like, you know, uh, I'm not accepting this because you treat us Native Americans poorly in your movies and in your TV shows. We're just stereotypes. We're the bad guys. And, you know, him starring in movies where that is true, it's like, oh, no, you're not going to take that away from me. So it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, he just had a big ego. That's all it was. Yeah. Anyway, I do have a part of the statement from uh, the uh, from the the THR. So, uh, part of the Academy's uh, statements from the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, so it says this: um, the abuse you endured uh, because of this statement was unwarranted and unjustified. Uh, the emotional burden you have lived through and uh, the cost of your own career in our industry is irreparable. Uh, for too long, uh, the courage you have shown has been been unacknowledged. For this, we both we offer both our deepest uh, apologies and our sincere admiration. Um, great. Why didn't you say this like sooner? Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, that's. Uh, I mean, like again, like uh, we would like to have uh, moved on to a more positive topic, but uh, you know, I think this is important to uh, to discuss. It's absolutely important. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, well, let's move on. So, um, Tim Burton has recently uh, taken on the Adams Family, and uh, this is going to be his bloody reimagining. So, the Wednesday trailer is going to be released. I've got to be honest with everybody. Once again, I do apologize. I've not had a chance to actually watch the Wednesday trailer, but uh, have you had a I've chance seen to it. watch it? So, uh, what, what do you make of it? It's amazing, by the way. It's so much better than the Monsters trailer. I, it's a million times better than the Monsters trailer. So um, it basically opens up with um, Wednesday being transferred over to the school. And, you know, she's being, like, um, you know, constantly made fun of for being a freak. And then she walks to a pool where she sees a bunch of guys swimming. And they're like, oh, this is where the, the swimming team is, freak. Go away. And so she releases a bunch of piranhas for them to be chewed on and eaten and then she goes over to another school where you have uh, Morticia and Gomez who said this is where we first met and we first fell in love and you know she's trying to get used to everything and you know she meets up with a whole bunch of people and you know then she talks about like you know this school is dreadful this school is awful this school makes me think of things I don't want to think of I think I'm gonna like it here so yes it is a mini series that's going to be about eight episodes long and um, according to what they said um, regarding about the series, they said like, oh, this is essentially going to be like if a Tim Burton movie was eight hours long. So, yeah, it's going to be jam-packed with a lot of stuff. So because it's eight episodes, I take it that each episode is going to be an hour long. And um, I have to say that the cast is actually pretty good. You have Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia, which is actually pretty perfect casting. Uh, Luz Guzman as Gomez is the one that's gotten the most backlash from the internet saying oh he looks absolutely nothing like Gomez he why doesn't he look like Raul Julia from the 90s movie it's like have because you seen what he looks different. like in the comics yeah like have you actually seen like the original designs of the Addams Family exactly if you look at the original design of the Addams Family comics from the, the 30s by Charles Adams that's exactly what he looks like so, yes, that's why he looks the way he does. No, he's not sticking out like a sore thumb. They're trying to capture what it was in the original comics. Not from the TV show, not from the movies, not from the newest incarnation of that's the newest animated films. No, it's based off of the comics itself. And yeah, everybody else looks spot on, and it just looks really, really interesting. And um, also, Christina Ricci, who played as Wednesday in the '90s film, she's going to be making a, an appearance in the in the show. So cool. that's actually going to be pretty cool. So yeah, I'm genuinely looking forward to this. This is I'm just looking at some you know uh, images now. Like yeah, this uh, this is definitely Tim Burton's handiwork. <laughs> you know, say absolutely, that. Yeah. Oh, that, that that piranha scene looks absolutely brutal too. It's brutal. Like, the moment that you see Wednesday just dropping the bags of the piranhas into the pool and all of these guys are trying to swim away from their lives, it's like, wow. Tim Burton captured that moment perfectly. It's like, that's exactly what, you know, the Addams Family would be doing if they want to be, like, all sadist and sadistic. So, yeah. yeah I, I mean, this looks way better than Rob Zombie's The Monsters. Well, I think we can all what... agree on that. But I don't know, like, uh, I mean, I want to see more of, like, you know, what... Uh, Rob Zombie's going to bring to the monsters, but so I'm sure we'll see more in the future. But yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I, I think if we have to, I think if you and I had to kind of sit down and say which one are we more excited about for right now, the Adams, you know, this Wednesday, uh, you know, series or the monsters, 
I think we can obviously argue that uh, you know Wednesday is definitely something we really want to look look, look further Absolutely, into. Yeah, it, and I know what Rob Zombie was trying to do when he did that Monsters trailer. It's like you know I'm trying to showcase you know the um, the cheapness of the 1960s series, but you know some people are saying, oh, but that was a major detriment. It just makes it look like it's cheap. But now that I see this uh, trailer for the Adams Family with its um, you know, with its style, and it, it definitely looks like it has a, a decent amount of budget. So I think that, yeah, a lot of people are going to be looking forward to this as opposed to the Munsters, which, once again, the Munsters has been overshadowed by the Adams family again. So, <laughs> it, yeah, it's just it's a, it's a time honored tradition, I think, that the Munsters get yeah, you know, rounded on by. Yeah, it's a time tradition that's been around forever. Yeah. Even though that. Uh, you know, some people would argue that the Monsters was better because, you know, it focuses more on a on a um, wholesome family going through everyday stuff. But it's like the Adams family was unique because even though that they're really kind and loving to each other, they're weird. But, you know, they're kind of like a, an appealing kind of weird. So, yeah, I mean, they're still able to stand out even to this day. So I, I definitely want to, like, look back on all of the episodes of the Adams family and the Munsters to see, you know the progression between the two of them and how this one is going to stack up between this mini series and the movie. So I'm actually excited about it. I, I think, you know, Tim Burton, if you, even if you're not a fan of the Adams family, if you're a fan of Tim Burton, you're going to want to check this out. So I think, oh, yeah, uh, sure. I think, I think this is the reason why the Adams family has far more appeal. And, you know, Rob Zombie, like, you know, if you're into like his, like, uh, you know, his uh, kind of like edgy, you know, uh, horror films that he's done over the years. I mean, like, if you're really into that, you know, if you're interested into Rob Zombie, just in general, you know, for his music and things like that, maybe you'll probably uh, gravitate towards the monsters. But, uh, I mean, in regards to, I mean, who's going to basically, you know, uh, you know, pan out, unfortunately, I think, you know, uh, uh, sorry, you know, Rob Zombie fans, I think, you know, the Tim Burton's got this right. And also, he's got he's got Netflix behind him as well, which you know I know you know Netflix is like you know going through like a a subscriber purge at the minute where you know with everybody wanting to drop off you know because obviously you know cost of living and things like that. But so you know like in regards to the you know Wednesday and regards to the monsters alone, I mean if we had to you know take out all the other litigating factors, I mean Tim Burton's got it locked down. Pretty much in regards to this, like you know, he's got a trailer out. He's got everyone really excited. You know, he's got uh, a lot of big people, you know, uh, you know, behind this project and uh, Netflix themselves as well. So I think you know, um, and it's uh, let's be honest with you. I think uh, you know all the projects that Tim Burton have done over the years. I mean, like let's face it, like some of his weaker projects, like you know, Alice in Wonderland, for example. Like you know, I think I think they're all in the rearview mirror at the minute. I think uh, there's so much admiration I think for what Tim Burton has done for cinema and uh, he also done for like you know creative projects. I think they're going to like overlook any anything that he's done previously and look at Wednesday and say that, oh, hey, this is something really cool that he's coming up with and it's, uh, you know, in his comfort zone. So I think he's got the uh, ability to be good once it comes out. So. Absolutely, yeah. I'm excited about it. I'm excited too. Yeah. Okay, uh, Kirby's 30th Anniversary Music Fest uh, is going to be upon us. It's going to be uh, available to watch on the 31st of August. So, uh, I mean, you, you finally got me to watch the uh, the Sonic uh, you know performance. And uh, also, yes. uh, they've also been doing, like, you know, South Park also because of their 25th anniversary, they've also been doing, like, you know, performances of, like, uh, their famous, you know, songs that they've been doing as well. So, I guess uh, I guess it's just the time that, you know, uh, orchestras are here to basically play out some of our, you know, uh, nostalgia, I guess. So, uh, and uh, Kirby's yeah, going to be up next. I mean, that um, Nintendo's never done this before. I mean, Nintendo has done this with Zelda, in which you have, oh, like, I went, to, I went to the Zelda one. Yes. Yeah. I've never been, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, the Zelda one was fantastic. So, I mean, if there's if the uh, the Kirby one's going to be anything like the Zelda one, then it's going to be great. 
Yeah, so, I mean, it's already up on YouTube. I'm saying that um, it was performed on the 11th of um, August in Tokyo, and they just started posting up the uh, clips of it yesterday as of the making of this podcast. But unlike the Sonic 30th anniversary, um, you know, concert celebration, this one is going to be removed on August 31st. So you better watch it now before it goes away. Yeah, typical, typical Nintendo. <laughs> typical Nintendo. I'm sick of this. Why is it that you have to have this awesome stuff limited for a short period of time or before it goes away forever? Like, don't do that. Let people watch it well, forever. It won't, go, it won't go away forever. Like, you know, someone will record it and we'll post it somewhere. You know, like uh, yeah, I know. It, it, once again, this whole pirating thing—it's like, oh, we we won't be able to watch it from the original source. We have to watch it from some other person's YouTube channel. Yeah, it's like uh, you remember the Moxie Pirate Show? And that's probably like you know, he's legitimately you have to pirate the Moxie Pirate Show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. But uh, you know, I think uh, yeah, like because the Sonic you know performances—they're still up on YouTube. You know, like you can watch yep, them whenever you want. it's still up on YouTube. It's up on Spotify. You can buy the soundtrack on CD. Like, Sega knows how to treat their fans happy. Well, as Nintendo <laughs> but, was like, funny oh, enough, yeah. you know, like, you know, like, uh, uh, after all the years of, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, really bad Sonic characters, and then all of a sudden it's kind of like, Sega's like, oh, yeah, well, we, we know what to do now, and uh, so, you know, and now it's complete reversal. Like, you know, Nintendo seems to, like, you know, spend most of its time trying to upset people, and <laughs> Sega, like, you know, knows exactly what to give people. It's kind of a really big role reversal. I, I, I think, think that, it. I mean, especially with the, the the Symphony Orchestra for Sonic, I know that uh, the people who uh, put this together, and I follow them on social media, they're very, very passionate about Sonic. They love the character. It means a lot to them. So, um, you know, they, they put this with heart and passion, and they want people to feel the same way that they felt about it. As for Nintendo, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do the same thing, too. You know, we want to celebrate Kirby and all that he's done, especially since this this has been a great year for Kirby. I mean, he's had, like, several games and, you know, this orchestra. So it's been – and also, you know, it's the 30th anniversary of Kirby, The you know, when the first game came out on the Game Boy. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a big year for Kirby, but – this, on the other hand, is like, oh yeah, we're gonna be showing off a um, this concert that we performed in Tokyo, and it's gonna be a big celebration of him with all the the music. But you can only see it until the thirty first, and then it goes away forever. It's like the Disney approach. It's like you know, buy these VHS tapes today, or also gonna go back into the vault, and you'll never get them again. It's like nobody likes that. Yeah, no, and uh, I guarantee, you, like, there's a lot of Nintendo fans who won't accept that as well. So like, yeah, yeah, of course not. But yeah, I did see the the concert. It's over three hours long, and it's great. It plays off a lot of the classic songs that you would expect from all of the games, and it also has appearances from the voice actress of Kirby. And um, yeah, it, it's a great concert. It's it's. I mean, if you're a Kirby fan, watch it. It's great. Yeah. So anyway, you so you got to the thirty first to watch it, and then after that, you have to go find a pirating stream to go see it. Yep, so. and you have to go through pirating. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Anyway, on to other Nintendo news. Uh, Splatoon three Direct uh, was a couple of, was a couple of days ago, and uh, so they've announced uh, some more. Uh, th- so they've got some new weapons, uh, which I think look really cool, and I think will definitely uh, have uh, some you know uh, more so saying based how multiplayer comes through. Also, they've uh, announced like a you know a lot of more you know gameplay te- mechanics as well. So like you know this uh, version of Splatoon three is really going to get you know far more involved. Like you know there's going to be like you know repel attacks, and there's going to be like uh, you know uh, also there's going to be like different ways. To 
to modify the character. Also, like, the gender-neutral characters as well. So uh, that was, uh, uh, you know, uh, quite surprising, I think, uh, for uh, for people to see. But, uh, you know, uh, very very inclusive nonetheless. And uh, then uh, we've got the story mode. So um, they didn't really allude too much to the story mode. I mean, like, where we're up to right now in the Splatoon story is that uh, uh, we had the last Splatfest from the, uh, the, the Splatoon, Splatoon 2. And, uh, you know, um, uh, Pearl won out in regards to that. And that's uh, basically had an effect on what the game we have now. So it's everything's like in chaos at the minute. Like it's not actually like shown as like you know a Mad Max, you know Anarchy World or anything like that. It's just kind of like more that you know everything's kind of like uh, you know uh, all like you know intertwined with one another in regards to, like, cultures and in regards to, like, you know, themes and things like that. So that's kind of, like, what we seem to be getting with the idea of, uh, quote-unquote, anarchy. But, um... In regards to, uh, you know, sorry, chaos, I guess you could say. But um, in regards to the story mode, it looks like uh, they were still going to be doing with, like, the Otterlings and the Inklings kind of, like, still having, like, these turf wars and, like, having, like, you know, fighting amongst themselves. Uh, but apparently this is going to, from what they're saying, this is going to be, like, the final saga in that story. So, um, I mean, yeah. so if there is a Splatoon 4, apparently it is gonna it's not going to include Octolings and Inklings fighting one another. Apparently this is going to be, like, the conclusion of, like, the entire, like, a whole Inkling-Octoling saga, from what they're saying. So, yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me of like how Metroid Dread is like the last story in the Metroid um, story, like the one that involves with Metroids, not like the Metroid series itself. So as soon as, you know, that part of the story is over, who knows what's going to happen to Samus, whether she's going to be, you know, fighting off some other creatures or maybe she's going to, you know, be dealing with other stuff. But yeah, it kind of reminded me similar to that. Oh, I'm sure when Nintendo look at their bank balance, I'm sure they'll find a way to figure out where the story's going to go. So Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. of course they will. Yeah. So, uh, that's the story. So, the story mode, it says that apparently the Octolings now have hair, which is okay. Like, uh, that's kind of strange. I, mean, I thought that they were based off of, like, you know, creatures that don't have hair. Well, that's the that's the whole strange thing about it, is why do they have hair? So, I guess that's going to play into were the they, story. Were they genetically experimented on mm. or maybe they want to feel more like humans? The, maybe the hair's not even real? I don't know. Yeah, maybe we're gonna get a new. Maybe we're gonna get like a new main boss in this. Maybe it's not gonna be the uh, you know the main you know Oxaling boss in this one. So like uh, mm -hmm. who knows? Maybe. Maybe. But uh, so that's uh, what we know about story mode at the minute. We don't really know much anything else. So um, yeah, but there's that. So uh, the Splatfests are interesting. So maybe before we get into the Splatfest, maybe we should probably talk about the new idols first. Thinking about it. So um, the idols were were announced also. So uh, they got like their uh, traditional like you know uh, you know uh, over the top you know uh, entry. So um, we've got three P uh, idols in this one, not just two. So it apparently comprises, and this is just what well, I'm thinking, it comprises of two Octolings and one Stingray, from what we can see. So uh, the Stingray is uh, known as Big Guy, you know, original name. And uh, then uh, the um, other two, uh, one is known as Friar, and I think Friar is supposed to be like a, a mixture of like a, you know Asian, you know um, South Asian, like you know Indian like culture from the way that uh, she seems to uh, like you know uh, singing like how she seems to express herself and that. And then there's another one called Shiver. Now there's a debate among Shiver because some people are suggesting that she's gender neutral. Now uh, we we don't know if, what the, what the uh, the pronouns are of our idols at the minute, so I'm just going on what I think. 
think of what I've seen. But a Shiva, from what I understand, is um, um, they are you know based on Japanese Asian culture, and uh, that uh, that's the way that she um, you know um, sings her songs and how she how they you know uh, you know present themselves in the the, the way that uh, that uh, they do their um, their routine. So uh, this is um, playing into like the whole chaos of like. Uh, different cultures mixing with one another and uh, also there's like a Brazilian kind of like you know a carnival theme also playing into like their act as well so uh, they definitely are very different from uh, the Squid Sisters and very different from Off the Hook but uh, I mean apparently uh, Fryer is uh, rubbing some people the wrong way because uh, apparently she according to them she doesn't look all that well designed but uh, I don't know if you had a chance to look at them, Patricia, but uh, no, I mean, no, but uh, so uh, there are some complaints about the design of a uh, fryer, but uh, you know, uh, I think you know, mind you, we've had this before. I mean, like, uh, but when we had off the hook released, uh, everyone was saying that, oh, you know, uh, Maria is going to be, you know, the Marina is going to be the big star out of this, and you know, Pearl's is going to be like shoved to the side because you know, no one seems to like Pearl. But funny enough, Pearl ended up winning the, the final Splatfest, which is kind of like thrown us into the Splatoon three where we are now. So, um, who knows where we're going to be uh, at this point at the very end of the, all the Splatfest when all they, the, all they you know, uh, take part. But, uh, so, the reason why I suggest we talk about the idols first is because you notice that there's three of them and not two. So, if you, in the Splatfest, what usually happened is that, okay, well, you know, um, they would have, like, a Splatfest, like, saying, oh, well, the uh, glass is half empty or the glass is half full. And uh, what would happen is either that uh, uh, Callie or Pearl would basically say, that, oh, well, the glass is half empty. And, uh, you know, Marina would basically say, or, you know, uh, um, you know Maria would say, Marie would say that, oh, the uh, the glass is half full. And, like, they basically they would be, like, uh, this back and forth with one another, and then that would go towards the Splatfest, and everyone would either vote, and or, or basically they would take their own sides, and then they would have the Splatfest, like, you know, to uh, do all that. In this case of Splatoon 3, from what they're saying, how it's going to be done is that um, there are now going to be three. Uh, the first Splatfest has already been announced, so it's going to be um, scissors, rock, and paper. Like, which one's the better one out of the three? If like rock, scissors, paper. So um, they all three of them have taken a, have taken a position, and uh, so it's going to be up when the game gets released in the on the 9th of September that uh, the uh, in the first Splatfest they're all going to have to take sides and figure out what's going. On. So how does it? So people are asking, well, if there's going to be three sides and there's only like you know um, the, the maps the way that they are done in the game how is this going to play out so here's something interesting here so um, the one that it seems to be winning uh, in the Splatfest you basically get four players who will be placed in the middle of the map and then what happens is there's going to be another two players from another team on one side of the other side of the map and there's going to be another two players on the other side of the team that will represent the other side and basically they'll like fight towards the middle and like uh, the ones in the middle the four players will be fighting to basically keep the turf in the turf war which is like that's really interesting like uh, you know um gameplay to say that you know you're going to get the uh, two sides to like you know try and collapse the other side and uh but uh, it's, I'm not so sure how well balanced that's going to be because you've got four players on one side, and I get they've got to like defend like two like sides, like because they're in the middle. But then you've got one you know enemy coming from one side and one enemy coming from another, and then like you know um, switch games from what I can see are not very well you know choreographed in regards to like, it's not like Xbox Live where you can like you know talk to your player and like you know be able to corroborate you know uh, corroborate some kind of like you know strategy to like fight off like you know the both sides. It does sound like it's going to require like some Discord and require some like you know. Uh, some, you know, like, uh, team talk 
in some way. And so I don't know whether that you know Nintendo even thought of like incorporating that into the Splatoon games, but uh, it's a bit late now to like announce anything. But uh, I can probably imagine there's going to be in regards to clans and regards to that. There's going to be a lot of Discord use. I can say. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. So uh, that's what we know pretty much about Splatoon three at the minute. So uh, I'm actually excited for the game, actually. So you know, yeah, it's really good. I've played the other two Splatoons and I have really enjoyed them. I've only played the story mode. I haven't really played the Splatfest or anything like that, or the multiplayer mode. So I'm only really going to be playing it for the single player mode, to be honest with you, and do like all that. But uh, you know, when it comes out, I'll be definitely be buying it. So yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay, uh, moving away from Nintendo, we're going to move into Sega, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this in the past. Didn't I once mention, uh, you know, that uh, I thought Comic Zone would make a really good movie? Yes, you did. Yeah. You did mention that, and I mentioned that too. Yeah. Well, I think Se- I think Sega's listening to our podcast, babe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah well, they must be listening to our podcast. No way. It's... Sticking with the theme of Sega giving fans exactly what they want, <laughs> uh, Sega is partnering with Picture Star to produce uh, film adaptations of Space Channel 5 and Comic Zone. Patricia, your thoughts? I'm excited. Like, I'm not too familiar with Space Channel 5. I know that it had a bit of a massive cult following when it came out on the Dreamcast, but um, Comic Zone is a f- game that I've always wanted to see adapted into a movie it is such an amazing concept and with the popularity of comic books nowadays i'm surprised they didn't do this sooner yeah like uh, i mean i guess uh, it's interesting to see with comic zone like you know is, is it coming too late is it coming too is it coming too uh, i mean is it coming like in the middle of like uh, you keep this in mind like superhero movies are now starting to be on the decline at the minute in regards to like you know at least I mean, this, this is, is with a different Marvel. take on it i mean it's a it's a different take on it because um for those who don't know what the plot of comic zone is so comic zone is about a comic book artist named sketch turner who is doing his new comic where you know he's like drawing everything and then all of a sudden the main bad guy of the comic that he drew basically grabbed him and said i'm gonna take over the world i'm gonna take over your world and you're gonna be dragged into this comic but the only way that i can be able to do that is if you die in the comic that you created so he teams up with the hero, who is a secret agent of the comic, which takes place in like this post-apocalyptic world, and he's supposed to be fighting off all of these bad guys, including the final boss, so that he can be able to free himself. If he dies, then the villain turns into a real human, and then he takes over the world. But if he succeeds, then the villain crumbles up, and then there's two possible endings. Um, the, the main hero of the comic book, she's trapped in a vat of liquid that's rising up and you can save her or you can let her die and if you save her she comes back with you into the human world and then the comic becomes a massive success but if she dies then the comic burns you succeeded in killing off the villain but you can't go back into the comic to rescue her so it's kind of a different take on comic books and as for space channel 5 from what i understand it's basically like a um a uh, video game about this uh, reporter who uh, basically uh, is trying to report on the um, on this alien invasion that's happening, and it involves with like a lot of dancing and shooting and stuff like that. So, yeah, it had a major cult following when it came out on the Dreamcast, and it was also ported to the Game Boy Advance and on the PlayStation Two. But I've never played it, so I've heard a lot of people saying that they want to see another game on the series, but it hasn't happened. So uh, the fact that it's going to get a movie is very surprising. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, both of them. I mean, like, uh, keep in mind, like, if they're as good as Sonic the Hedgehog, I guarantee you, like, uh, anyone who's not heard of, uh, you know, Space Channel 5, you know, now is definitely going to hear about it very soon. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And who knows, maybe it'll, like, bring up the popularity of people buying the game, and then all of a sudden they'll be like, hey, you know, people are excited. Maybe we should make a new game off of it to, um, you know, either popularize on the movie or let people be hyped of the movie. Who knows? Yeah. I'm pretty sure you and I have had this discussion before, but, uh, you know, like, uh, what, I mean, I think, uh, well, before we get into that, like, uh, I mean, I, are we definitely saying that, uh, you know, uh, the, um, uh, the success of Sonic the Hedgehog is brought around, you know, the fact that now we're now talking about Channel, you know, Space Channel 5 and Comic Zone as having movies well, absolutely now. Absolutely, yes. I mean, I feel that if Sonic the Hedgehog wasn't a success, this wouldn't have happened. It would have probably been, like, more of the um, more popular video games, because these are two cult classics. Space Channel 5 was a cult classic for the Dreamcast, and Comic Zone was a cult classic for the Sega Genesis. Okay then, yeah. So I'm just I'm surprised we stuff, but so you know, like uh, all of a sudden, like your uh, advertisement just want to like you know come come in here at me left, right, and center. Like, uh, I do apologize, everybody. Uh, so yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, um, I'm gonna look uh for uh, uh a certain uh, uh thing that I actually found before. Oh, here we go. So I'm looking at Den of Geek, and uh, I thought maybe let's go through the top 15 best Sega Genesis games ever, and let's see if they will be uh, good for uh, movies. You know, uh, for you know, for Sega to make some movies, maybe. So, sure. Uh, should we go through that list? Yeah. Okay. Uh, number 15 in the top uh, Sega Genesis games ever is Vector Man. Yes. Vector Man would be kind of like a mixture between Wally. -E if um, Wally -E was focusing on, like, okay, I mean, it's almost kind of like a similar plot to Wally, -E in which, like, you know, humanity has left the Earth because it's become too polluted. And you have, um, you know, these series of robots who are cleaning up the Earth. And Vector Man is basically doing a shipment of dropping off oil um canisters onto the sun and then all of a sudden you have this robot who was malfunctioned and then he turns into a villain saying like i'm gonna you know destroy everything and then it's up to vector man to save um you know the the what's remaining left of the earth and so yeah i think that vector man would be a awesome movie i think that if you were to have this robot who's trying to save the earth and you know we see like the the way that the earth looks now with it being like filled with pollution and you know everything being mechanical and stuff like that i think it'll be kind of awesome i mean it's a hard game but it's still one of the major games in the sega genesis that has not only become a cult classic but every compilation that has ever happened whether it be on like the gamecube the playstation 2 the xbox and even even on Steam, they've always put Vector Man's one and two onto their lineup because the, the games were that good. Yeah. Uh, number 14 in this list is uh, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. How do you make a game based off of a puzzle game? Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about this now. I could easily see this, like, saying, oh, hey, you know, uh, Illumination Studios did the minions. Like, here come the beans. Yeah, let's walk away from that idea, shall we? Ideas. Okay, then. Um, number 13 is NHL 94. I mean, like, uh, you couldn't really make a... Say you couldn't really make a video game out of the National Hockey League, could they? Yeah, I mean, would they even have the rights to do no, that? No, I don't think they would. And, okay, uh, I don't think that'll be possible. Yeah. Like, also, also like, uh, you know, we have the Mighty Ducks. Isn't that enough? Okay. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, the Mighty Ducks is still, um, you know, relevant on Disney+. Plus. I mean, they just had the um, the series that just came out a bit last year, which I still need to watch with my friend Clancy because we, don't, we talked about the Mighty Ducks trilogy. So, um, 
you know, that's still that's still going on. So, I mean, if they want to do an original idea based off of the NHL 94, maybe, but I don't think so. I think that that movie is not possible. Yeah. Number 12 is Mortal Kombat 2. I mean, like, there's already Mortal Kombat we already have, movies. We already have Mortal Kombat yeah. movies, so, okay. yeah. Uh, number 11 is Contra Hard Corps. Oh, uh, let's see. A movie based off of Contra. I mean, I think that that'd be cool. I mean, we'll have to... Isn't it kind of consider- based on other action movies anyway? Like, uh, yeah, more yeah. or less, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of... It's basically, you know, you have these two guys who, you know, go around and shoot down aliens. So, yeah. It's based off of a bunch of other things that happened around the 80s. It's like a little bit of aliens, a little bit of Rambo, a little bit of Predator, a little bit of... Like a mixture between all those 80s action movies. Mm-hmm. Number 10 is Toe Jam and Earl. Ooh, that would be so awesome. Have this quirky animated film about Toe Jam and Earl. I don't know what the plot would be because it was, I mean, it's kind of like a little weird quirky plot with um, a lot of exploration and teamwork, but I would love that. I mean, that would be it, so cool. The, the, my, under, my interpretation of Toe Jam and Earl, and this comes from, like, you know, watching it with Mac Bataille and, you know, uh, James Rolfe, but, I mean, like, it seems to be, like, you know, an alien's version of, like, what a human video game would look like. So I guess uh, if they were going to stick with the aesthetic, I think what they would probably look like is uh, this would be like an alien's version of like what humans would watch in a movie theater. So like uh, that, that's a that's a weird concept to think about when you really think about it. Like you know, I pull it up, I think it'll be awesome. Yeah, it'll be like it always be like a, like a you know a, an hour and eighteen minute long YouTube poop. <laughs> I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, a so Jim and Earl movie I actually would like be be intrigued to see. So. Um, Oh. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, if you're talking about like one of the definitive cult classics on the Sega Genesis, Toe Jam and Earl is definitely one of them. So much to the point in which the, when there was a Kickstarter for a another Toe Jam and Earl game called Toe Jam and Earl Back in the Groove back in 2019, it became a massive success. I mean, even Macaulay Culkin himself, um, you know, donated money over to this uh, Kickstarter, and yeah, because he was a huge fan of it. So yeah, I think that that'd be awesome if there was a movie. Yeah, number nine is Streets of Rage. Um, Ooh, Streets of Rage, yes, I want to see that. I would like to see a movie based on one, and maybe probably do two if, like, you know, it becomes successful, but uh, no, it's this, I would say, uh, you know, start with the original Streets well, of Rage Well, obviously first. start with the original, yeah, but, I mean, Streets of Rage 4 came out uh, less than, I think about, like, two years ago on Steam, and... It looks really, really awesome. So, um, yeah, definitely bring do a movie on it where you have like, you know, you have these three rogue cops who are trying to fight off against this huge crime boss. I think that'll be really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. Number eight is uh, Castlevania Bloodlines. Uh, well, we already have the Castlevania Netflix series. Yeah, so, so. Um, a movie yeah, would be cool. I, I mean- it would be awesome if they were to do a movie of it, but, you know, unless, um, you know, Konami not being Konami, then I don't know if we'll see a movie of it, but the, the series on Netflix is awesome. And have Tim Burton do that one, too. Ooh, Tim Burton doing <laughs> Castlevania. Ooh, which storyline, though? Will we focus on Simon, Trevor, Richter? Um, I'd say, yeah, I would say start from the beginning, you know, start with Simon, you know, like, uh, yeah. Mm, I mean, if we were to start with the original timeline, it wouldn't be Simon. Oh, no, it wouldn't be Simon, would it? It'd be the other one. Um... No, it, it would not be Simon, no. I mean, if we're going to start, like, all the way from, the, like, the original timeline, I think, I think it was the PS2 game that was, like, the first in the timeline. But, yeah, mm. I mean, that would be awesome if we had, like, a Castlevania movie, and then it just, like, build up to, like, generations upon generations of vampire killers and, you know, going off and fighting against Dracula. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I would love that. 
Like, uh, whatever you do, don't base it off Simon's quest, because, like, you know, how, how, funny, how funny would it be if, like, you know, you're watching the movie and, like, you know, something's about to happen and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the, the uh, text on the screen just says, what a horrible night to have a curse, and they just, <laughs> it's like, it's just changing day to night and no one acknowledges it. Oh, good grief. Okay, that'd be, that'd be funny. That'd be hilarious, actually. Um, okay, number seven is Beyond Oasis. Beyond Oasis? I have not played that game. It strongly resembles Legend of Zelda. Okay, well, all right, so it'll be like a fantasy movie then. All yeah. right, then. Um, I'm not too familiar with the game, but um, if um, if it's kind of like Zelda, then maybe it'll work. I mean, Lord of the Rings is becoming uh, more relevant again because they're going to be posting up the stuff on Amazon, so we'll see. Yeah. Okay, number six is Shinobi 3 Return of the Mas Ninja Master. Ooh, Shinobi, yeah, that'd be really awesome. I've you only have, played like the first game. I've never played the other two. I've played Shinobi 3 because that's what I have on the Sega Genesis Classic Collection, and it's it's hard, but it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. You cool. get to ride on horses, you get to fight off these evil monsters, you get to, like, um, you know, go around various levels. I mean, there's even one where you get to fight Spider-Man. So, yeah, I think that, um, I mean, base it off of, like, uh, the first Shinobi, obviously, and then you can, like, try to see if you can build up the story. But, yeah, I think that um, a movie about a Shinobi would actually be pretty cool. I actually would like, you know, if uh, Shinobi was a Smash Brothers character, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I would love that. That'd be yeah. great. It'd, it'd, be, it'd be appropriate. Like, he's a, he, he will be a fighting game character, wouldn't you think? So, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay, uh, number five is, well, I mean, it's Sonic the Hedgehog 2, but, you know, obviously that's, yeah, that's, that's, gonna, that already exists. Yeah, it already exists, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, number four is Monster World 5. Monster World 5. I mean, I, I take Monster it that World it's... Monster World 4, sorry, um, I do apologize. The fourth one, not the fifth Monster one. Monster World 4, okay. So I take it as based off of, like, the Monster World games? Not not, not the ones from Capcom, right? Um, it's uh, First glance, Monster World 4 is a pretty 90s platformer, a very colorful one. Once you actually start playing it in Death's there are tons of upgrades to be found in the game, uh, sprawling levels, and uh, Asher is uh, plenty of crazy uh, moves at her disposal. Um, oh, I see. It's based off of the Wonder Boy series. Well, oh, not yeah, through the earlier games. Games of the Wonder Boy franchise game uh, stateside, yeah. So. Okay, yeah. Now I know what you're talking about. Um, hmm, maybe that could be a possibility. I mean, I know that there was a remake of one of the Wonder Boy games that came out last year, and I know that it's very much like Zelda, which is like an um, an RPG slash action adventure game that you fight off monsters and stuff like that. So maybe that could be a possibility. Yeah. Number three is Gunstar Heroes. Ooh, Gunstar Heroes would be really awesome. That's one of the classics on the Sega Genesis as well, where you get to, like, you know, have a whole bunch of these cool different guns, and you get to shoot a bunch of robots and stuff like that, and you get to fight off against this evil dictator that looks like M. Bison for some reason. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, I mean, what would you would do for, um, um, like, a storyline for the movie, but as for a game, it would be awesome. Like, hey, you know, you have these kids shooting around all these colorful guns that, you know, that, you know, that would be kind of cool, so. Yeah, I can always imagine saying it, turning around saying, uh, oh, hey, you know, like, uh, that's what all the American kids, like, like uh, sir, we were really sat at the hedgehog under the same circumstances, and, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go, yeah. Um, number two is Fantasy Star uh, 5, I think it is. Yeah. So I'm Fantasy Star 4 now, sorry. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, Fantasy Star 4, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I gotta be honest with everybody, my Roman numerals are really letting me down today, so I do apologize. That's fine, that's fine. But yeah, Fantasy Star is like the final fantasy of the Sega Genesis. It's like, you know, there was like multiple installments, and uh, it has like a really deep storyline with all these really nice, um, interesting worlds to explore, and all these really compelling characters. I mean, it was like the first in a series of RPGs where they actually killed off a character before Final Fantasy 7, so it was very groundbreaking for a lot of things. And, you know, we already have a ton of Final Fantasy movies, like The Spirits Within, which is awful, and then there was, like, Advent Children and stuff like that, so, yeah, a Fantasy Star movie would actually be pretty interesting, just, um, they have to find a way to make it more digestible for a mainstream audience, because, um, you know, like Fantasy Star, you know, it's like an RPG first and story second. So I'm sure that they'll be able to tweak the story around with whatever they do with it. Yeah. And the number one Sega Genesis game, according to Den of Geek, is uh, Sonic 3 or also known as Sonic and Knuckles. Yeah, which we're not going to talk about because there's already going to be a Sonic 3 coming out. Yeah, and we're already speculating about seeing who's going to appear in that one. So. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on. So, um, me and Patricia, we kicked off um, Journey to the Blue Sky, and uh, we finally moved on to robots. And so, uh, and also uh, for Dream Machine, we also finally put another episode, which is going to be the bad guys. So, um, with always to give our post thoughts on uh, both the uh, the movies after you know after a while that uh, we had a chance to have a discussion to see if we feel any uh, any different or any like any feel pretty much the same about them. So, um, you know, looking back at robots, I mean, like uh, I still feel somewhat the same way about the story, like. Uh, it starts off really, really well. Like, you know, you, you really want to root for Rodney, and uh, he has, like, one of the best dads, I think, in any animated movie, I think. You know, like, uh, all of that starts off really well, but I think once we start getting into the middle of it, like, you know, it just it just, it just feels like, you know, oh, hey, you know, Robin Williams will be able to hold up this movie, and uh, I think they rely too much on him, I think, uh, in regards to that. Like, really, he needed to be, like, more of a story driver more than a story pin, really, in all of this. And uh, so, um, yeah, it's... It's just, I still feel the same way about the story then, like, you know, as I, as I do about it now, like, you know, just uh, a really good start, but like a really disappointing payoff, really, when you yeah. get to it, so... It was really disappointing because it started off like, oh, you have this inventor who has dreams and ambitions and he's going to go out there and make his family proud. And then all of a sudden it just went downhill with like introducing Fender. And then you have like this whole subplot of Ratchet trying to like take down, you know, people buying scrap parts and then instead buying these really expensive, you know, uh, bodies of, of steel and stuff like that. And, and all the broken down robots are going to be taken over to the chop shop. It's like, this stuff has already been, you know, a, a plot that we've seen before. It's like, oh, you know, evil corporations and the little people are going down and that kind of stuff. It's like, we've seen this kind of stuff before. And, you know, as, as I mentioned before in the um, discussion on Journey to the Blue Skies, that this plot I've seen, you know, done was basically improved on and done better a few years later with like a whole bunch of other movies such as meet the robinsons where you have the inventor who's struggling to you know be successful and he learns a lesson about keeping moving forward and then cloudy with a chance of meatballs in which you have the inventor who constantly screws up and then he's able to succeed with making the food machine and you know then he learns a valuable lesson about how it can go too far and you know what he's able to do to become a success at the end and uh zootopia in which you have have like um, a person who has ambitions who wants to become something even though that she's against the odds and so she goes over to Zootopia and then it doesn't start off very easy for her and this whole 
um, commentary about predator and prey, which is basically like um, a stance on racism. So yeah, I mean, robots felt like it was going to be like the prototype of those kind of movies, but it just ended up being worthless. Yeah. I just think that's, uh, I mean, another thing that uh, really irks me as well is like, you know, how did Big Well lose control of his company? That's still a question I feel like, uh, you know, just, uh, isn't that, it never gets answered. Like, Ratchet just somehow just kind of like just, just takes over, but doesn't really explain how he did it. You know, like, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. He's just like, oh, you know, we have Ratchet who has all these really nice ideas and I'm old fashioned, so they don't need me anymore. It's like, oh my God, really? You're yeah, gonna like, go into that direction. But I, I would really like him more of an explanation of like how he managed to like take over the company because by the time he does, like you know, all the people that you would have thought would have like been happy to have him like you know in in the company, like you know, they're all afraid of him. And some of them actually want Big Well back. Like you know, it's just it's, uh, I'm just really amazed at like how someone like that could easily just take over. You know, like, uh, and, uh, like, also, like, the, uh, I mean, I would love that, you know, like, uh, maybe the, uh, you know, that, that um, you know, uh, the antagonist in the movie, like, uh, maybe she had, like, has, like, some kind of, like, saying, like, how, you know, Big World Industries, like, you know, happens. But no, she's, like, she's, like, this kind of this hidden, vil like, stereotypical hidden villain, like, in the basement, like, you know, where he, she's, like, Hades from, like, Hercules, you know, like, uh, yeah. it's just, it's, uh, you know, um, yeah, so there's just a lot of, like, little bits that just don't, you know, end up getting stitched together, really, and he's just kind of like, oh, hey, here's Robin Williams, he He's funny. Like, you know, so yeah. that's not really what we want to focus on here. We really want to focus on, like, you know, um, Rodney, you know, making his way, to, trying to make his way to becoming an event. So we want to figure out, like, what happened with Big World Industries. What happened, I really wanted to figure out what happened with uh, Big Weld himself and uh, that. Like, uh, it's just, it's, um, I think they really kind of, like, just uh, did not glue this w all well together, you know, in, in my opinion. Like, it was only, like, you know, Big World all of a sudden is kind of, like, just, like, you know, randomly just appears. Like, you know, you, it's kind of like a blinking and you'll miss it. Like, he really needed more of, like, you know, an entrance to, like, you know, say, oh, hey, guys, I'm back. You know, like, uh, it just kind of like, feels like he's just written in. You know, like... Uh, right, yeah. yeah. It does feel like it's written in. And, um, you know, since then, I did some more research about, like, other voiceover roles that Robin Williams has done. And... Um, there was, um, I completely forgot about this. He was the voice of Dr. No in AI. You remember the, um, the Steven Spielberg movie that was originally supposed to be directed by, uh, Stanley Kubrick? Oh, yeah, and uh, that was, that was great. Like Dr. No, who explains to David about who Pinocchio is. Yeah, I like, uh, that's the and one. And then there was also, um... And this is also another one that I completely forgot about. Uh, he was the voice of the um, the the penguin Ramon in uh, Happy Feet. Yeah, but that came out like a year after Robots. Yeah, it's, it's uh, but I mean, Robin Williams aside, like, don't get me wrong, like, uh, we all love Robin Williams, we miss him to this day, but uh, at the same right. time, like, uh, you know, the, the, he wasn't executed well in this movie, in my opinion. No, he like, wasn't. I mean, we're, we're, in fact, we even said about, like, that maybe later on in a podcast we'll discuss about what is his worst voiceover performance. It, was it Batty from Fern Gully or was it um, Fender from Robots? Because both of them are pretty problematic. Yeah. It's just this, uh, I mean, like, uh, again, like they have, like, an inventive, like, world that they have here, and, like, uh, they had a lot going for it, I think, but uh, it's just the, the story just lets it down so much. And yeah, also, exactly. Like, I, I, mean, I even said it in the discussion that it felt like they were just trying to utilize the animation that they had. They were trying to be, like, all creative and clever. It's like, oh, look at these pen shots. Ooh, look at this, um, the way that we're able to transition. I mean, it's like what you say, Aaron.
And every time that we see like, oh, they're focusing on the animation more than the story, you would say it's a tech demo. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, oh, you know, from between Ice Age and Robots, we're talking about like three years. So they maybe they felt like, oh, you know, we're, we've improved on our animation since then. We want to be part of the main competition where, you know, Pixar and DreamWorks have basically took over the competition and Disney basically failed with Chicken Little. So it's like, hey, you know, we're going to be the ones to stand out. And Unfortunately, that's one of the things that, you know, um, kind of like falters this movie. Sure, the animation is better than Ice Age, but what makes Ice Age a memorable movie to this day was that the story was great. Yeah, exactly. And the but, characters were memorable. Yeah, and, uh, but, uh, I mean, the, 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 there's some positives I will say about this movie is that I do enjoy the, the I do enjoy Herb in this movie. Like, I, I would say that he's one of the better you know, uh, animated dads that we have because, like, he always roots for Rodney regardless of whatever's happening and, uh, you know, he's always really, he's like a really supportive dad. Like, uh, it's just, it's, uh, I think if we ever had, like, you know, uh, top dads in this movie, i got to say, Herb will definitely be, like, one of the top ten. I would definitely mm. say. Yeah. Like, you know, can, can you imagine, like, any, I mean, obviously we've had our collection of, like, you know, great dads in movies, but also not so great dads as well. <laughs> Chicken little. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, uh, but, you know, I would say that Herb, even though this movie is not necessarily, like, one of my favorite all-time movies or anything like that, Herb is, like, definitely, like, a dad character I would love to, love to have, like, in a different movie. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I mean, I felt like, you know, that would be the case. I just felt like, you know, this movie is kind of, like, jumbled up. It's like the first act was something else. Like, oh, you have this wholesome movie about a kid who wants to be able to uh, accomplish his dreams and he sees his favorite person on TV and he wants to be able to go out and do it. It's almost like Ratatouille in a way. And then you have the second half and then the third uh, final act in which it just felt like it was taken from a completely different movie. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, would you believe it? I actually do have like the top 10 Disney dads uh, to celebrate on Father's Day, even though it's not Father's Day. So uh, no, it's not even close to Father's Day. Yeah, anyway, I'll go. I'll, I'll quickly run through them anyway because uh, I'll see what the thing. So, uh, um, okay. Well, uh, this is by WDW Magazine, by the way. I don't know how they fare in regards to tens, but uh, they're sure. in no particular order either. Um, this 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 character is not really a dad character. It's Thomas O'Malley from the Aristocrats. Yeah, he's not a dad character, but I guess that's the closest thing to a father that Berlioz, Toulouse, and Marie have. But no, I don't see him as like a dad character either. I mean, he is. He does sense it. Oh, it could be like a father figure or something like that. And uh, you know, sure, a father you know, figure, just, and, and he ends up and he ends up becoming, you know, um, a part of the family at the end of the movie. So okay, I, I, I guess it does count. And uh, sure, yeah. Uh, number nine in this list is Geppetto from Pinocchio, which is kind of like, well, yeah. I mean, like, uh, if if you if one gets swallowed by a whale to go save your kid then you know <laughs> yeah exactly father of the year people okay uh number eight is uh, king fergus from brave really hmm uh, i never really noticed him all that much in the movie hmm yeah uh number seven is maurice from beauty and the beast i mean of course yeah like uh i would say that he was a pretty good dad i guess in regards to that um sure. number six is professor porter from tarzan Well, I guess. Okay. Uh, Mufasa from Lion King? Um, he's only in the first act, and then he dies. Yeah. Uh, number four is Carl Fredrickson in Up. Um, he's not really a dad character. He's, not a, he's, more he's of a, not a dad character. He doesn't have any kids. Yeah, I mean, the only time we do see that is with Russell, but... That's more, uh, like, that's more like an uncle or a granddad kind of like character, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not like a not like a father figure, no. Yeah. 
Uh, number three is James in Princess and the Frog. That's Tiny's uh, father. Uh, but again, like you know, he he died like in the like the beginning of the, the movie. First act, yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two is Goofy in a Goofy movie and an extremely Goofy movie. Uh, yes. You say yes. Yes. I mean, like uh, in an extremely Goofy movie, like you know, he was uh, he was kind of like you know in in the in the scene quite a lot of the time. But so you know, yeah, in a Goofy in a Goofy movie, I definitely would say you know he's a good dad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he cares about Max, and he's concerned about him going in the wrong direction, which is why he decided to take the family trip. And he even said that great line that, um, you know, no matter how big you get, you'll always be my son. And so, yeah, he really cares about Max. I think that he's the best dad that I've heard in this list so far. Okay, well, are you ready for number one? Sure. Okay, number one is Marlin from Finding Nemo. Yeah, that's that's actually a pretty that's probably that's a pretty good choice considering that we saw Marlon in the beginning of the movie about how you know he's really excited about being a dad and then you know his wife and most of his children were killed off with the exception of Nemo and so he becomes overprotective because of everything that he experienced and then he goes on his massive journey to save his son. It's like yeah, he would be an awesome dad for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, um, yeah, I mean, out of the, the, by the way, those are Disney dads like you know, well, not dads own animated movies overall, so. Just let you guys know. So. Uh, that was pretty weak. That was a pretty weak list. Yeah, well, they're only Disney dads, and uh, I think they're far and few between a little bit, really. So. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, heaven forbid if we get a list of the top ten moms in Disney. Oh <laughs> man, that'll be like really short. It's like, oh, they die, dead, dead, <laughs> dead, dead, dead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, I think we moved on quite a bit from our robots discussion, so uh, let's move into the bad yeah, guys. Oh. Bad guys, yes. Yeah, so the bad guys, I mean, we, we, me and Patricia, I think, I still feel good about you know, the bad guys. Like, you know, if someone wanted me to go see it again, I definitely would see it in a heartbeat. Like, it is such a fun movie. Like, it is. It is, yeah. And so, um, I still feel the same way uh, about about it now than uh, when I when I first watched it. Like, you know, if uh, uh, it was definitely the movie that DreamWorks needed after, like, you know, so many mediocre films that I recently produced. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they produced, like five mediocre films in the, in the span of like three years and i know what they were going through they were going through a lot you know being acquired by universal and then all of a sudden elimination came along and then they were overshadowed and then you know major competitions with disney and pixar and sony became massive and so yeah i felt like they were lost and you know they just um relied mostly on their sequels i mean with the exception of Abominable and, um, let me see. Yeah, with the exception of Abominable, all the movies that we talked about were sequels. Trolls World Tour, Cruise A New Age, Spirit Untamed, Boss Baby Family Business. They only produced, like, one original film out of their three years after they were done with How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Which, again, that was based off of, uh, of another film. But, yeah, I mean, they, they, they seem to have kind of, like, lost their way. And then all of a sudden, the bad case came along and then became, like, a refreshing change of pace. Yeah, like... I still feel the same way. Like if um, now that we know that this has been basically a really successful film, I really hope that they follow on with it and say, "Yo, hey, you know, uh, we're now going to we might have another Madagascar on our hands. We definitely need to, you know, release you know more bad guys movies after this." And I wouldn't be opposed to that. Oh yes, I I would love to see it. I mean, I literally just went to the store the other day and I saw that they were displaying books based off of the bad guys. And so, hey, I mean, if people are buying them and you know pe people are you know generating interest of it, who knows? Maybe we'll see another sequel down the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really look forward to that if that was going to be the case. 
And uh, so, I mean, like, uh, um, I, I, I still love the very twist at the ending when you know Mr. Snake basically, you know, uh, you know, tricks Marmalade into thinking that he's on his side, and uh, then he like switches out the uh, the asteroid for the lamp. <laughs> that 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 was brilliant. Like, uh, yeah. I, I I I still replay that part of the movie if I ever get a chance to watch it. So, <laughs> oh, so it's so brilliant. Like, uh, I I I, I, I love the way this movie ends. Also, the one thing I'm a bit sad about though is that so uh, we didn't stick. You know, we should stop doing this. Like, you know, we should st- we should stick around for the post credit scenes. Like, because uh, uh, it's uh, it's indicated that you know uh, they've like you know served up their time. You know, they've uh, finally come out and uh, then uh, you know uh, they're going to be uh, you know out back on the road again. Like, you know, whether they're going to be committing crimes or not, I don't know. But uh, we'll see. Mm. So, uh, but. Uh, it seems that Foxing's in all the, aka the uh, the Crimson Poor is uh, in on the whole thing. So, yep. Yeah. So, I, I think that um, the movie's great. I mean, I would say it's one of my favorite movies that I saw this year. I'm still debating on whether I like this or Turning Red more. It's one of my favorite uh, DreamWorks movies we I've ever seen as well. Sh- you know, when we come towards like the like the end of the year, you, we definitely should have a discussion of like you know what's been the best animated film to come out you know this year because yeah, there are quite a few contenders really when you think about it. Yeah, I mean there are fi- uh, quite a few contenders. I mean, uh, we have. I mean, Lightyear is definitely not going to be one of them. Yeah, I'm so- sorry. Well, we've got two of them so far. We've got Turning Red and we've got the bad guys. You know, they're, def- they're definitely Yeah, terrible. we have Turning Red and the bad guys. And I know that there were some other ones that came out this year, but um, I sadly have not seen it. I haven't seen the Hotel Transylvania Transformania yet. I haven't seen that one yet. I also haven't seen Minions Rise of Gru, even though I... I don't really want to, but if I have to watch it, then fine. Um, there was also... Um... Well, Sonic 2 came out this year as well. Oh yeah, Sonic Two came out this year, so we have to watch Sonic Two. Um, yeah. There's also I, I might be wrong, but I've heard some I've heard some good things about the Sea Beast. So. Oh yeah, the Sea Beast. Yes, I need to watch the Sea Beast as well. Yes, there's that as well, and also there's Luck. I, I don't know if I'm going to get an Apple TV subscription, but I have to watch. Luck. Um, I I don't I don't think I mean I've been hearing you know, Saber Spark did a pretty uh you know um de, you know de, de, deconstruction of Lock and uh, I don't know after hearing what he's uh, gone through with it I'm not too sure if it's even going to be worth it I mean like he he like he was even saying like you know well who's got an Apple TV subscription like you know, the only reason I will probably buy an Apple TV is because I have an iPhone and I have an iPad that's about it you know so basically I can watch anything that's on my iPhone or my iPad I can watch on my TV that's what how, yeah. that's where that's the I would basically get the Apple TV box, but I wouldn't get the subscription. Yeah, and then there's also um, DC League of Super Pets, which um, you know that movie did okay, I guess. Well, I mean, like it wasn't too well at the box office, from what I understand. So. No, even though that it's like it started Dwayne Johnson, you would expect that it would be amazing, but no. No. And then there's and then there's Nickelodeon's movie, which is uh, oh, Pause of Fury. Fury. Oh, good grief! Yeah. That's a that's a train wreck. So, yep. Yeah, I think we'll stay oh, away from that. Movie that. We both saw together, which is the Bob's Burgers movie. Yeah, and uh, the uh, I don't think I well, I mean the Bob's Burgers movie didn't perform all that well, but uh, I mean like also one thing as well. I don't know if you noticed this, Patricia, but uh, Minions: Rise of Gru is currently in seventy-one percent of Rotten Tomatoes, so it is in <laughs> it is in Crystal Skull territory. If we ever want to, of course it is. Almost. Every, I mean, that's the thing with these Illumination movies. Every, almost every single one of them are either in Crystal Skull territory or in the bottom. There's none of them that are like like high up so it's not too surprising yeah anyway and we're, we're, um... we're, just to let everybody know like uh, right now we're currently going we still got like all our own series currently going on at the minute and uh, whether we're going to actually do a dedicated series to illumination or not we're still sort of talking about it at the moment so yeah but the one that we are going to probably watch that has come out this year is 
Ice Age Adventures of Buckwild. Hmm. We'll get there eventually, but... Uh, yeah, you know, we'll get there the, eventually. The Super Mario movie we'll definitely talk about at some point. Oh, yeah, so. for sure. And and, if, and whenever that we got a chance, we will talk about Sonic the Hedgehog too. Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on from that, um, uh, Raya is, uh, from the Raya and the Last Dragon, is going to be officially joining the Disney Princess lineup at the Disney parks. Which is way overdue, by the way, because um, I saw Brian the Last Dragon about two years ago when it was up on Disney Plus, and it was pretty good. Well, if you remember, it, it took a while for a Merida from uh, Brave to actually get into the Disney Princess Royal Court. So, like, uh, you know, it's uh, just because you have a movie that recently gets announced doesn't necessarily mean you get into the lineup or, or, or you know all that all that automatically. So, I think they have... and it took Moana several years for her to be a part of the Disney Princess lineup as well. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think there seems to be criteria. Like joining this like this elite group of uh, of uh, of women, I guess, and uh, that is that. I mean, you have to have like a successful movie. You have to basically be, you know, uh, I guess maybe also they're taking taking merchandise sales as well because like every single princess that's currently in the Disney princess lineup or I mean, like, it's really like they're calling it the lineup now, not the royal court anymore. So I guess they've retired the court now. I guess. I guess they have. I guess so because yeah. um, you know, it's kind of funny because you know, I mean, the the princesses that are currently on, I can definitely see them, you know, saying, "Oh yeah, these are the main princesses that everybody remembers." The only one that it's a stickling point for me is Mulan. I'm sorry, Mulan is not, not a, a princess. princess. Yeah, exactly. But uh, so I mean, I would kind of like to say it the same way as like uh, it's like this whole. Uh, name is basically called like the Disney Princess Royal Court or the Disney Princess Liner, but I think uh, it's I think more it's in name only really. I think they're gonna basically branch out to like say, oh, it's just because it's called that doesn't actually mean that everyone there is actually a princess. Because you remember Alice, Alice from Alice in Wonderland at one point was in the Disney Princess Royal Court. I you know, know all, that the, was all those decades really ago. Weird. That was really strange, but uh, that that happened. But uh, you know, like uh, I, I think the, um, I think the criteria is like you know wide open now. Like you know, I think he's even more one. Or like, uh, is she? Is he actually? I thought she was like a tribal chief's daughter or something like that. I didn't think she was actually a princess. That's technically, yeah. If she, if she, uh, basically, that would technically be a princess. princess. Okay, then that's fine. Yeah, that, but, that's the reason why Pocahontas is technically a princess because she's the daughter of a chief. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess they've been, there's a reason they've been holding out on uh, you know Elsa and Anna not being in the uh, Disney Princess Royal Court themselves because now they're technically queens now, or maybe exactly. Yeah. Elsa's yeah. basically God now, I guess, you know, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know, but, uh, like, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, even if, uh, you know, Anna was, a, was a, accepted into the princess lineup, like, technically she's not a princess, she's already a queen, so, yeah, uh, yeah. who knows what she's gonna be when she gets to Frozen 3. So, uh, yeah. If there even is a Frozen 3, but no, most likely there oh, will they'll, be. Oh, they'll, you know, I, I still see girls with, like, uh, Frozen, uh, you know, uh, attire and, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, dolls and things like that. Frozen is still known to little girls your, at your this point. Your niece has Frozen bandages. Yeah, exactly. So, like, exactly, yeah, my, my little niece has Frozen bandages on, exactly. So, like, you know, Frozen is still in the consciousness, I think, of all the kids that are currently around at the minute, so I wouldn't be too surprised if there's going to be a third movie. Or there's actually, you know, Going to, be, going to be an abundance of shorts. So, like, uh, and also, yeah, well, I think, right now, as, as far as we know, there's not going to be um, any Frozen movies anytime soon because we know about Penelope, which is the um, the movie based off of the Princess and the Pea. So, hey, we're going to have another Princess movie coming uh, coming up soon. Yeah, maybe we'll get a bunch of Olaf shorts again. Who knows? So, mm, maybe. maybe. Not too. I would 
proves who's surprised. Yeah. Anyway, so um, <laughs> I've got to be honest with everybody. Uh, I've not really watched uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, to be honest with you. So, like, uh, it's still a movie that's kind of, like, eluded me at the minute. So, I've got a Disney Plus subscription, so eventually I will sit down and watch it. But uh, until then, basically, I'm, you know, Patricia's the one I mean, who's it, watched it. it. I mean, it, it took until the both of us sat down and watched Moana, in which, like, you know, I haven't seen Moana. I've, you know, I've, like, heard it from afar. I've heard the music, but I never sat down and watched it until the both of us sat down and watched it just, like, a month ago. Yeah, also, it's a Dwayne Johnson movie, so how's how that eluded me? Like, you know, I'm always watching Dwayne Johnson movies somehow. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah, so... But, uh, you know, eventually I will watch, I will watch Raya and to tell everybody my thoughts on it, but until then, like, you know, I'm still waiting to kind of, like, you know, find time to sit down and watch it, so... But yeah, I'm really glad that Raya is part of the the Disney princess lineup. And, you know, I mean, it just literally took like 10 years for now to be a princess in the frog ride because they replaced Splash Mountain with, um, you know, the ride for Princess and the Frog. So it's probably going to take a lot longer for Raya to even get her own attraction because, well, I mean... Well, that's a good shout, actually, because I'm sure after Merida got into the uh, into the Royal Court, she eventually she got her own, like, you know, uh, um, she got like an archery kind of like, you know, uh, 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 thing, a thing that she got. So uh, yes. she she actually sits this in front of it, like she's you know teaching people how to like you know I think the the actual character actually you know actually is versed in archery herself, so she actually like does it herself. So uh, which is kind of mm-hmm. which is kind of cool when you really think about it. So uh, yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, so uh, I think eventually you know uh, Riot will get her own you know attraction or ride or something like that. They always seem to. So uh, yeah, they always seem to for sure. Yeah. So, well, there's plenty of uh, you know uh, Disney worlds and Disney lands to place it in, haven't they? So, after, after, uh, by the way, we have watched the whole thing of the Imagineering story. So, uh, I think uh, somewhere down the line, once we've got some time in our busy schedules to uh, you know uh, all the other podcasts we need to do, eventually we will talk about it. So, yeah, we yeah. will. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right then, uh, let's move on. So, uh, Manic Expression is uh, going to be doing a movie, and they've recently released a poster to give us an idea of what the movie's going to be about. So. Um, I think yes. you, I think you got your finger more on the pulse than I do. So I mean, like, have they like announced um, like uh, what the story is going to be, or have they just recently released yeah, the so poster? Yeah, so basically, it's supposed to be about um, you know the manic expression members and them going over to essentially this city um, where they're trying to like bring their um, you know their content out there. So it's basically about James, um, the ma- the founder of Manic Expression, and he wants to post his books. And James actually does have a series of books called Manic Expression, where he talks about like various short stories that takes place in California, and it focuses on multiple people and. You know, it, it it covers some really dark stuff. It covers uh, drug addiction. It covers divorce. It covers a whole bunch of trauma and stuff like that. So, the, the anyway, so the movie, uh, from what I understand, focuses on you know James trying to sell his books out to a publishing company, and he's had zero luck whatsoever because they wanted to be more mainstream. It's like, why can't you be more like this book that's more popular? Why can't you focus on a specific audience that would generate towards it? And so. He decides that he's going to uh, travel to see if he can be able to uh, find a way to post his content. And he goes over to a city where it's basically like, oh, um, and kind of like the internet incarnate. And so he meets up with a whole bunch of people who just so happen to be members of Manic Expression. Decker Shadow, Fanfic Critic, that long-haired creepy guy, Big Black Hat Man, and various other people. So... Uh, yeah, they basically have to take down trolls, and they have to take down the uh, the evil CEO of what the you know what's the equivalent of Google. So, uh, back around 2013, I helped write the story for Manic, the this movie, alongside with James and with uh, Martin Thresher, aka some jerk from Boston. So. 
I just helped with the story portion of it, like the final product, um, they took over, and so, um, I'm not sure what the movie's gonna be about myself, so, I'm actually really curious about how it's gonna turn out, because I've been hearing about this project for a long time, I even donated to the, um, the, the Indiegogo campaign when they first posted it up, and, I also um, try to do a live stream to help raise funds for the movie, which I got practically no money for. But um, yeah, I I heard about this movie for a long time. It went through a lot of issues. Like one of the original uh, people who was going to work on this movie died in a car accident, and so they had to find another person. And then that other person turned out to be a scam artist, and so they had to find a third person. And so they've been working on this film ever since. And now we have an announcement that it's going to be coming out next year. So in terms of the Manic Expression movie, I would recommend that you go check out Manic Expression. They just uh, revitalized their social media pages and their YouTube channel. So they're basically starting over again after being around for 10 years. Uh, just this a uh, few months ago, they celebrated their 10th anniversary. But they just brought back a, a new social media page. You can go follow them on Twitter at Manic Expression, which the E in expression is uh, number three. So it's M-A-N-I-C-E-X-P-R number three, S-S-I-O-M. And the same thing is said on Facebook. And they also have a Instagram and they have a TikTok. And also follow them on Twitter and I mean, YouTube, I meant. Follow them on YouTube where they're posting up old content from their old YouTube channel, but they're also posting up new content from the YouTube channel. They just started posting up uh, content from the Fanfic Critic and Tim Deanna and also James's work. And also there's going to be a few other people who are going to be posting up their stuff too. So, yeah, go check them out. Cool. So, uh, by the way, just uh, commenting on the uh, poster itself, so, um, I mean, like, uh, I was that there's actually going to be fighting a bunch of trolls, are they going to be played by British people by any chance? Or uh... <laughs> Funny you should mention that, that um, one of the people who are going to, who's going to be in this movie is our good buddy Guru Larry, so he's going to be in this movie, so, in a way, yes. <laughs> yeah, typical. So, uh, <laughs> so anyone who doesn't know, it's uh, it's our um, rub to uh, uh, the sorry the insert of the Crystal Skull movie that we watched, which was the Princess and the Goblin. I think it was uh, was it that one or was it the other one? Uh, I can't yes, remember. it was. It was that one, yeah. So uh, where all the British actors are playing trolls. So yes, yeah. <laughs> well, they're they're playing they're playing goblins, but uh, oh goblins, yeah, okay. it's more or less it's more or less the same. Yeah, trolls, goblins. What's the difference? Well, uh... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a bit where we uh, we've infuriated the uh, the goblin and troll, um, you know, uh, sensitivity group of people or whatever. Like you know, I'm sure I'm sure they exist. So mm, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Okay, uh, 35 years ago today, Metroid was released uh, f for the first time on NES uh, in Nintendo in North America, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a huge game, you know, uh, for, yes, for NES. And uh, so uh, the idea was, I mean, I mean, tell you what, Patricia, I think uh, you're uh, far more acquainted with uh, Metroid. So I've only played, I've never played Super Metroid really. So like, I mean, all the other Metroids, uh, I mean, I played Metroid Fusion, and uh, so that's yes, gonna be my yeah, that's my that's my venture into. Uh, into the Metroid world, really, but so besides the Smash Brothers game, I think uh, I also I, I did. By the way, I did also buy the uh, the dreaded Metroid Another M game as well. So uh, that 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 was something I also got acquainted with as well, unfortunately. But uh, the the actually original Metroid game, I don't think I actually ever really like you know played all that much. I got to be honest with you. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so um, for those who don't know about the original Metroid, so it starts off with Samus, who is uh, given a call from the Galactic Federation to stop Mother Brain and the Space Pirates. So you basically go over to the planet Zebus and you fight off uh, basically three main antagonists. You fight Ridley, you fight Kraid, and you fight Mother Brain. And then you fight off the Metroids as well, which are basically where the title of the series comes from, is these jellyfish-like creatures that have become a major weapon for the space pirates. And uh, yeah, this is where it all started, uh, about 35 years ago in North America. And I have to say, in terms of like how it holds up today... Ah, it's really hard to go back to it. It's it's really rough to like play through the game, especially since you start off with like 30 health points as opposed to like 99 and you have to grind your way through to get it. And also, uh, unless you have a map, which by the way, you don't have a map in this game, unlike in Super Metroid and in other future Metroid games, you don't have maps. So you have to either memorize the layout or you have to print out a map online and you have to follow where everything is. So... You basically have to like go around and search for items such as e tanks and missiles and other power ups and you know basically you have to go over to these different sections of Zebus, which is like Norfair and Criteria and Turian, and then you fight off against the respectful villains. And you know basically it's like what if you combine the platforming of Mario and the exploration of Zelda and you put it into science fiction and basically you have a mixture between like the Alien franchise because of course. Every 80s video game that has a sci-fi or action thing has to be inspired by Ridley Scott's Alien, because of course it is. And so, uh, one of the big ma major twists of uh, the, the original Metroid was that the person that you were playing as is not a man, or a robot, or a cyborg, or an android, but a woman. And it was like one of the very first times in which you actually got to play as a female protagonist, and then it would lead up into other female protagonists in future games. And... Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, all of the legacy stuff aside, gameplay-wise, unfortunately, it doesn't hold up. I mean, it's not as timeless as Zelda. And yes, I would say that even Zelda is kind of hard to go back to, but a lot of people do find it playable once they have an acquaint, uh, uh, you know, like... Um um, a structure to how they were able to play it, but yeah, the original Metroid is rough to play. If you are going to play the first installment of Samus's Adventure, I would highly recommend that you check out Metroid Zero Mission for the Game Boy Advance. That game holds up way better than it does um, the original NES version. Yeah, I mean, like in regards to um, you know, um, um, in regards to like NES games today, I mean, like, it is um, a bit unfair to say that, you know, the games, you know, don't hold up because obviously with, um, you know, it's kind of like saying, like, well, you know, because I played Mario Kart 8 uh, Deluxe, you know, on the Nintendo Switch, I mean, the uh, the Super Mario Kart doesn't really, you know, hold up all that much on the Super Nintendo, but, I mean, like, uh, keep this in mind, like, you know, uh, the only seems to be, like, uh, that games you know, tend to hold up well is because I think, you know, in, in modern versions, like, there's been no way to, like, you know, uh, replicate what was felt back, you know, back in the time. And uh, I've got to be honest with you, like, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of, like, old-school, you know, gaming fans, retro fans, who probably do feel like, you know, the NES uh, library still, you know, holds up, you know, were to, because, you know, they're just not, you know, acquainted with, like, you know, the modern games. So, I mean, I'm sure those types of fans do still exist, but uh, it is hard to say, you know, like, uh, the old game, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, even like I say, like, uh, you know, um, when I played the original uh, Super Mario Brothers on the NES, like, you know, I, before that, I played, uh, you know, Super Mario, I played the original Mario actually on, you know, uh, with the Super Mario All-Stars. 
uh, cartridge, which I got with uh, when I first got my Super Nintendo. So I played the, uh, the the remastered versions of those games before I played the original game, and uh, you know because of that, I would say that probably is somewhat you know where you know ruined my experience with uh, you know playing the original game for the first time like on the original controller so yeah like uh, today it is very hard to say that oh hey you know like um you know uh, i really want to revisit the uh, the nes but i feel like it doesn't you know uh, uphold as much as like the other other you know video games you know where uh, that kind came afterwards so yeah i think that's a that's a common complaint i think really with uh, you know yeah i mean especially and... for you know uh let's be honest i mean metroid is not a mario it's not a zelda it's not a pokemon it's not like you know uh, a franchise that a lot of people have played only a you know a handful of people have played it and believe it or not even in japan it's not very popular it it only became really really popular when it was released in north america they seem to gravitate it a lot more than the japanese and it's it's still that the coming to this day in which that um you know the metroid franchise hasn't really gravitated too much compared to a mario zelda or pokemon so um, if for anybody who is new to the Metroid franchise, then, yeah, I would say that if you want to definitely get into, like, um, the, um, the, in the beginnings of, you know, the, the franchise, then definitely play Metroid Zero Mission. It's, um, a lot more easier to play. It, it has a lot of the modern, you know, controls that you would expect. Uh, the gameplay looks nice. The music sounds nice. And also it, uh, it actually has a second, um, you know, uh, quest kind of where, you know, you would think that at the end of the game, when Samus defeats mother brain, the game is over, but no, it actually continues on with, uh, Samus taking off her zero suit and then the space pirates attack her and then knock down her ship. And so she has to sneak into the space pirate lair and steal another ship so that she can be able to escape. So, uh, yeah, it actually does feature more gameplay and it actually de develops the lore for the very first time where we actually do get to see a glimpse of Samus's backstory that unfortunately was only available in Japan because that's when they released the two-part Metroid manga, which has been translated, um, you know, by fans since then, but not officially translated. So, yeah, I would say that, um, you know, for newcomers of the Metroid franchise, I know that a lot of people would say, oh, check out the NES version. But, you know, especially for like newer fans, then I would say the Game Boy Advance version is probably the, the best way to play the game. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, if it wasn't for this game, uh, we wouldn't have anything like Metroid Dread or like any of the other Metro Super Metroid games or anything like that. So, you know, like uh, there is a reason to appreciate it because uh, this was basically how Metroid started out and uh, all the ideas that later on came on top of that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it actually released a lot of the best games in the franchise, like Super Metroid, Metroid Fusion, the Metroid Prime games, and, you know, just as recently, Metroid Dread. So, um, yeah, I definitely would recommend that, you know, for it, it, you know, it, it's really sad that the Metroid franchise has become, like, really um, overlooked compared to the, all the other Nintendo franchises. I mean, it, we even talked about this last year that, remember Animal Crossing New Horizons when that was released on the Switch? Yeah. And... Then we learned that one copy, you know, like, uh, you know, that one game alone sold more copies than the entire Metroid franchise combined, which made me really disappointed. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, more people will definitely get into the Metroid franchise. I mean, especially with Metroid Dread now currently being the highest, um, you know, grossing Metroid game of all time. It sold over th 3 million copies. So I'm hoping that we get to see, you know, more Metroid games to come, especially since we have Metroid Prime 4 coming up from Retro Studios. And 
I don't know what the next installment of Metroid is going to be, considering that um, Yoshia Sakamoto, who is the uh, co-creator um, and producer and director of the Metroid series, he said that Metroid Dread is the last one in the Metroid storyline, as in, like, the one that focuses on the Metroids themselves. So, yeah, I, that should be really interesting about where that's going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, I think, uh, yeah, Metroid Prime 4 is going to be a huge game. Like, you know, uh, if uh, that turns up as, you know, uh, if Nintendo returns to E3 next year, I guarantee you that's going to be the talk of the town. Like, oh, uh, sure. Definitely. Okay, moving on. Uh, so, we are on the 26th anniversary of Keenan and Kel. So, yeah, it's, uh, we're that old, unfortunately. But uh, uh, Kel Mitchell decided to uh, share some outtakes uh, from, uh, the, uh, from, the, from the show. And so, um, it just goes to show that uh, even, you know, uh, nothing was ever done in one take. And uh, so, it took us... <laughs> I've got to imagine it took several takes uh, for uh, Keenan to get away from his giggles. You know, like, uh, that was one thing I, I loved about, like, some of the outtakes uh, of uh, some of these shows that, uh, you know, like, I mean, you know, you got to keep in mind like you know they're, they're still young in their age and so you know like uh, you know some of the stuff that even they you know uh, are told to do they even themselves found funny and so like uh, like you got a bit where you know where you have uh, Keenan and Kel like saying you know, why, why are we in this police station and like uh, you know like there's so much like innuendo that could be replaced into that like you know it's uh, it just ends up being just hilarious on its own so, uh, but uh, it, it was nice to see that kind of stuff. To see that you know, they were, you know, even though that uh, you know they are actors and they are, you know they're there to do a job, they still take you know uh, a lot of uh, hilarity out of the stuff that they do. So. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, also, you know, when it comes to like some of the shows that were featured on SNCC, Keenan and Kel is still like one of the more revered shows. Even though that, I mean, one of the biggest issues that I've had with Keenan and Kel was that other than Keenan and Kel. Like, all the other characters are pretty forgettable. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, keep in mind, like, uh, you know, there was the owner of Rigby's, and uh, then, yeah, you know, Chris, and, uh, like, yeah. yeah, that's true. I mean, Mr. Rockmore was pretty hilarious, you know, uh, when he... Yeah, of course. Like, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, considering that, you know, he's an amazing actor, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you have the mom character, which was replaced twice, and then you have Keenan's sister, who is just like, oh, I love you, Kel. She's pretty much pointless and you have all the other like dorky friends and stuff like that and other than that i mean they're just not as memorable like keenan and kel just do such a great job at you know their dynamic duo that the other characters suffer yeah well i think the thing is that i mean they're supporting characters for a reason like you know the whole emphasis is basically on keenan and kel and uh, i mean uh, besides uh, you know obviously the store owner and uh, you know uh, for to, to a point you know uh, you know mr you know mr rockmore himself like you know the, unless they like uh, you know certain characters got like specific episodes like you know where uh, you weren't really going to really know too much about them i think that's another thing i think about keenan and kel as well like there's a lot of character development going into keenan and kel themselves but in regards to like all the characters around them yeah they don't really get much development besides basically no, like, their, their, really. their, their, their tropes exactly like they're just there because oh you know they're part of the um, you know they're part of some parts of keenan and kel but yeah then unfortunately it's just like you know keenan and kel just do such a good job that they're just kind of forgettable and you know that's one of the things that um a lot of people praise drake and josh for it's like yeah drake and josh are great characters but you know all the other characters that are in the show are a lot more developed like you have uh, josh's girlfriend you have you know the parents you have um megan even though that she's really 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 annoying and um then you have the other um friends that uh, drake and josh have so i mean people have praised drake and josh for that but 
Um, still, I mean, like, I guess that's the one thing that I would say that Drake and Josh does better than Keenan and Kel, but still, Keenan and Kel is still a great show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going on episode Ninja, and uh, they have decided to do the top 10 uh, best Keenan and Kel episodes, so shall we go through the list and see what we think? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Number 10 in this list is Poem Sweet Poem. Oh, yeah. That's that's actually a pretty good episode. Yeah. So Keenan writes a lovely poem inspired by uh, Sh- uh, Sharia uh, for, uh, and uh, hang on a second, he's lost the, uh, for a class assignment. Unfortunately, Kel uh, leads uh, a female classmate, Allison, to believe that Keenan wrote the uh, poem for her. So, yeah, so you have the crazy, wacky shenanigans and misunderstanding with Keenan trying to, like, um, find a way to explain that it wasn't for uh, Allison. It was, in fact, in, you know, for Charlotte instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine in the list is a Merry Christmas, Keenan. Oh, that's a great episode. It's one of the classic episodes of Keenan and Kel, where Keenan basically wants to buy himself a Christmas present, and he has just a few dollars left, so he basically works as a, as a store Santa. And then he meets up with a kid who um, wants to get a bike for Christmas. And, you know, he comes from, you know, um, a rough situation with his family. And so, you know, Keenan decides that he's going to buy the bike for the kid instead. And it's actually a really, really sweet episode. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, that's a pretty uh, stereotypical thing that happens in, like, these sitcoms. Like, well, the first encounter I remember was when Simpsons roasted on open fire, you know, like the original Simpsons episode when uh, Homer has to dress up as a Santa Claus in order to basically, you know, be able to get, you know, make up for the fact that he's got no Christmas bonus this year. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is pretty stereotypical, admittedly, but uh, it does come up, uh, you know, it pretty sweet in the end. It is a very heartwarming Christmas special. It is. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it cool credit for that. Uh, number eight in this list is doing things the Hemingway. Um, Keenan, oh, yeah, yeah. This is the episode where Keenan tries to be like Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. Yeah. So he says a list of goals for himself to accomplish. And at the top of Keenan's list is uh, uh, Brianna, the girl of his dreams. Uh, was that the bit when he went to the self of the Sears Tower and like, you know, uh, put in like, uh, you know, that that banner? I think. I uh, think so. Yeah. I think so, yeah. I could agree for that. Yeah, Ernest that episode is was hilarious. Strange, strange person. I mean, sure, he wrote some of the best, you know, books of, um, you know, in in literature, such as *The Old Man of the Sea* and *For Whom the Bell Tolls* and *A Farewell to Arms* and *The Sun Also Rises*. But he was actually a very strange person. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, he was known for having. He was known for his intense masculinity, and also he was known for living a crazy, crazy life. I mean, like, um, for example, like he was, um, you know, he he drove an ambu- He was an ambulance driver in World War One, and then he fell in love with a person, and he worked in odd jobs in Chicago right before he became a well-known writer. He had a really strange taste in food, and you know, then he lived in uh, Cuba for the last few years of his life. Yeah, he he lived a very very crazy life mm-hmm. uh, number seven in this list is attack of the bugman um oh uh, yeah i think that's the episode where um that's yeah, uh, uh, despite uh, being uh, warned to keep his uh far by his father to keep the uh, front door closed keenan chooses to leave the door open and continues to play penguin hunter with cal oh yeah yeah that's what i remember yeah yeah and then all of a sudden um I think this is also when, um, you know, they, they weren't paying attention and then all of a sudden, like, you know, everything just goes wrong when, you know, they, I think that this is, um, when, um, you know, uh, insects were being attacked by their home and so they just were playing video games instead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number six in this list is uh, present tense. 
Uh, Igetsu yeah, is... I think I know this episode. I think this is the episode that um, Keenan tries to find the birthday gift that his parents bought. Yeah, on the last episode. Uh, then uh, number five in this list is a picture imperfect. Yeah, that's the one where Bill Bellamy appears in that episode, right? The the the, the comedian who would eventually um, play his cousin Skeeter. <laughs> yeah, Bill Bellamy happens to be in town that week. When Cole, when Kel uh, causes an accident in school, it's up to him and Keenan to rectify the situation. Uh, in a rare stroke of rock, Bill Bellamy happens to be in town that week. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four in this list is uh, the tainting of the screw. I'm surprised this is not number one because it's the episode that everybody brings up. So you basically have, um, you know, Keenan who eats um, a tuna fish sandwich and he finds a screw in it and he wants to sue the tuna fish company for essentially like almost choking on a screw. And then we have that infamous scene in which when Kel basically goes over to court and he says, I dropped the screw in the tuna. And so that is a funny, funny scene. I'm surprised it's not number one. And one of the outtakes, like, uh, when he goes, like, uh, when he goes, like, you know, go over the stall to, like, you know, go in the judge's uh, pit, in the judge's, uh, you know, uh, uh, judge's uh, pit, uh, he actually ends up falling on his face, actually, you know, falling over the wall. And, uh, oh, God, that, no, that's hilarious watching him do that. Probably painful yeah. for him, but, you know, all you can do is That laugh. is a great episode. Mm-hmm. Um, number three in this list is the Chicago Witch Trials. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. There's that's a- that. That's I think that's that episode in which a new girl comes into their class and they think she's a witch. Yeah. So a new girl in in school named Becky. Keenan suspects the new girl is a witch and is determined to prove it. That's kind of like uh, that's really weird. You know, episode. That is say. really weird. But then again, there was a lot of like, um, you know, there was this was like around the time in which you have like Charmed and you know various TV, uh, you know various TV shows where it had witches in it. So I guess it was trying to like cash in on the popularity of that at the time. Yeah. Uh, number two in this list is Freeze and Burn. Oh, that's the episode where they are get stuck in a freezer, right? Yeah, so, um, it's, uh, as a result of bumbling, Keenan and Kel find themselves uh, trapped in a chilly situation. So, yeah, that's when they go to, like, uh, that pirate-themed, uh, restaurant, and, uh, they end up getting everyone trapped in the, in the freezer. Yeah, I, I remember that, that one. That is yeah. a hilarious episode, actually. That is, a, that is a funny episode, yeah. Yeah. And number one in this list, according to Episode Ninja, is uh, the episode for Futurama. Not the TV show, the actual episode called Futurama. It's where Keenan and Kel want to show that their show that their show will last forever and make a show that's based in the year 2099. Kel plays with a magic vacuum cleaner that uh, performs a, a disappearing act. Yeah. That, that I mean, it isn't that funny about like, oh, you know, this is uh, what we think that the future is going to be like. and it's And it even looks dated at itself, you know? Yeah. So, according to that, those are the t- top best episodes of Keenan and Kel, according to an episode. I mean, it's actually not a bad choice. Uh, I would say that it's, you know... Uh, there, I mean, there could have been some episodes that I would have felt that it, you know, could have been on the list, but yeah, that's not a bad choice. Okay. And finally, um, a small fire broke out in Nintendo's development center in Kyoto. Um, look, they're saying that it's likely been starts, device was uh, started by a device being charged in the wall. But uh, well, it's a pretty scary situation that you know a small fire could have like you know broken out in Nintendo when like you know uh, thankfully it wasn't any worse than it actually was. So. Mm. Well, I mean, at least nobody was injured, and at least that uh, nobody, um, you know, lost a lot of important papers, or heaven forbid, nobody died, like what happened with Kyoto Animation. Do you remember that happened? Uh, oh yeah, I, rem- I remember that. That was scary. So uh, that was but, really uh, scary. 
No doubt there's going to be an investigation into what happened, but uh, I mean, um, the fact that it's like just started by like you know a, a charge, you know, what, I don't know what on earth they were charging, but uh, I mean, like uh, whatever it was, like uh, you can't, you know, I think I'll definitely be uh, taking a look at uh, you know what they're putting in their sockets, uh, you know, pretty much. So uh, what happened was uh, the fire department was di was uh, engaged to uh, help handle the situation, but apparently a, a number of employees managed to put the fire out themselves. So apparently it was uh, something that was within their control. So yeah, well, well that's good. Yeah. So, uh, interesting to see they base a game on it, maybe. So, like, uh, my, my motor walks in, it's like, uh, oh, well, you know, like, uh, uh, an office being set on fire and uh, a bunch of uh, employees need to, uh, you know, put it out. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, leave that with me for a second. I'm just going to go <laughs> develop a game for it. <laughs> so Sure, why not? <laughs> why not? All right, everybody. Well, it was a bit of a short and sweet episode uh, this week, but uh, we promise you there's going to be, you know, a lot more coming up. So... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially since like as of the recording of this podcast, you remember that um, Saban Sailor Moon pilot that they wanted to do, which was an Americanized Sailor Moon. Yeah, the pilot has been leaked online. Ooh, well, yeah, we'll need to talk about that next week. Until then, my name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. Take care. And uh, we're going to watch uh, something very strange. <laughs> See you later.